Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Today is Monday, January 8th, 2018, and we are so glad to be here. we got a great show lined up for you tonight. Some awesome guests uh, coming up, and I'm going to give you the layout of who's coming on in just a few minutes. Make sure you go to HagmanReport.com and bookmark the site there. You can see all the latest articles uh, curated and original content, and uh, there's some interesting things up there right now. There's a few videos that were done over the weekend uh, by my by my father. Those are up on HagmanReport.com, and they're getting a lot of traction on YouTube. We also have uh, other news up there from the, I'm not sure how many people saw this, the Jake Tapper uh, interview where he interviewed the senior policy advisor for the Trump administration, Stephen Miller, and that was an excellent 12-minute interview that really showcased how crazy uh, CNN and Jake Tapper can be in their uh, Trump hatred, where they won't even listen to a member of Trump's team who came on there to talk about a number of issues and was really uh, treated poorly by Jake Tapper. But this is a pattern of behavior that is continuing, and it's not going to stop till Trump is out of office. Uh, also, big news today, I guess, right? Oprah Winfrey and a 2020 run. I uh, I don't know, but the Golden Globes were last night, and there's a lot of talk that. You know, she should run for president in 2020, and for some reason that is all over the news media today. Even NBC tweeting out, uh, you know, much respect for our future president. As It's just insane. But the Michael Wolff book is still making the rounds, and that is really dominating the headlines. Trump's, uh, they're, they're questioning Trump's mental stability. I would urge everybody to go to Paul Joseph Watson's YouTube channel, and if you only ever watch one of his videos, Watch the one he did today, because he covers this in great detail, and it's right on the money. And it uh, talks about the hypocrisy in the media and how when it came time to cover and question Hillary Clinton's health after her coughing fits, after her collapse at the 9-11 memorial, you saw all these uh, you know journalists, Hillary defenders, come out and say it's a conservative conspiracy to question her health. It is... Uh, you know, below the bar of journalism, that these are personal attacks that are way out of left field and uncalled for. Well, now we see, uh, with no evidence, them they are doing the same thing, even talking up a psychiatrist who is diagnosing Trump uh, without even ever having met him, which is very dangerous. And Alan Dershowitz points out that that's what they used to do in communist Russia and China. They would say you have a mental disability and imprison you because of your political beliefs. And that's what we see happening here. That's what the left really would like to do. But we have a great lineup for you tonight. First half hour, we have news. And in the second segment, Dr. Jerome Corsi is going to be joining us. And we got a lot of great stuff to get into with him. Then in hour two, Doug Papa and Matt Bracken come together to talk about a number of issues from the corruption inside law enforcement and federal law enforcement to the Las Vegas shooting. 
and they're going to be on until 9.30. And then we are going to be taken out by Alicia Powell, and she's going to talk about her latest investigative findings from the dossier to the Clinton Foundation investigation. And for more on that... Yeah. Uh, if you are not angry, you are not paying attention. The walls are, are closing in on the Clinton Foundation, on the email scandal, uh, which is a crime, and actually all of the deep state actors. I, I've worked this past weekend just uh, just trying to work nonstop to really get to the bottom of what's going on. And, and some of the things that I have found, absolutely astounding, first of all. And I've said this, I said this on my morning radio show and I've said this, uh, uh, elsewhere. But the, uh, uh, of course we've got stories that broke last week and I just want to reiterate these because of their importance. Of course you had Senator Ron Johnson who had, uh, gained copies, obtained copies of the, uh, the manipulated FBI memos, the edited FBI memos, uh, the, the memos of the talking points that led to the ultimate exoneration of Hillary Clinton. And of course, those documents went to the various committees. You've got the House Intelligence Committee, or the, uh, correct, and the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Chuck Grassley has identified, of course, the former FBI Director James Comey to leak classified FBI information to the media to gain political leverage. Of course, he, uh, Comey had given the doc, um, the, the, uh, certain documents to, or that the memo, classified memos and documents Documents to the uh, his professor, Columbia professor, buddy Richmond, and of course he leaked them to the press. We know that. Now this is where I want to focus very quickly. The FBI has begun, of course, a quote new review of the Clinton Foundation pay-to-play network during Hillary Clinton's tenure at the Department of State. Now. Understand this, uh, and, and of course, Judicial Watch has done a great job in uncovering the documents. Charles Ortel from CharlesOrtel.com, just an incredible job of uh, of documenting the the uh, forensic elements of the massive fraud that is the Clinton Foundation, in my view. The investigators are working or have been in, have been questioning people all along. But this really accelerated under the Jeff Sessions, or under the, uh, once Donald Trump got in office, the, uh, Department of Justice under Donald Trump, via Jeff Sessions, and in some cases circumventing the entire, uh, Department of Justice, and this is important to understand, uh, at the urging of Donald Trump, has continued their investigation into the Clinton Foundation. Now, some news about that. Listen to this. And of course, we all know that there's some of the background. Um, Bill and Hillary, well, Bill became president from in, in 1993, served as president from January 20th of 1993 through uh, February, or January 20th of 2001. And then Hillary Clinton, of course, was a state or was a senator for the state of or senator for the state of New York. And then, of course, she uh, was uh, the uh, secretary of state from January 21st of 2009 till February 1st of 2013. Focus on the tenure at her tenure as secretary of state. As well as focus on the time period during her, uh, during her time as First Lady and Bill, Bill's time as President of the United States from 1993 to 2001. And consider the Clinton Foundation started or was founded on October 23rd, 
1997. Now, here's something. I'm not sure how many people know about this, but I think this is extremely important. On April 12, 1989, George H.W. Bush signed an executive order, order number 12674, that sets 14 basic principles of ethical conduct that all federal employees must follow. It becomes effective on February 3rd, 1993. Convenient, he's out of office, of course. Uh, but specifically, and in part, it states that any employee or an employee shall not use their public office for their own private gain, for the endorsement of any product, of any service, or enterprise, or for the private gain of friends, relatives, or persons with whom the employee is affiliated in a non-governmental capacity. Now, I'm going to stop there. And you can find this at the U.S. Government uh, Printing Office or the U.S. Government Publishing Office. And again, that took effect on February 3rd, 1993. Now, if you fast forward to what we're seeing today, go back a little ways now from today. It was on October 30th of 2016. And, and you know how, if you've been following the QAnon narrative, future confirms past, right? Now think about this. The Wall Street Journal confirmed on October 30th, 2016, that there is, or in this case was, an ongoing investigation into the Clinton Foundation. The FBI was doing an investigation. But the Justice Department did not uh, hasn't given it investigative powers. In other words, certain powers attributed to that specific investigation wasn't granted by the Department of Justice. Now, that was October 30th of 2016. Go back a little ways. It was in January of 2016 when Fox News reported that the FBI had an ongoing investigation into the Clinton Foundation. No one else reported this. As a matter of fact, uh, it, it, it sat in limbo after the Fox News report, just sat in limbo. Uh, it wasn't until August of 2016 when the Daily Caller reported on the FBI's Clinton Foundation investigation, but this, again, was not reported anywhere. It went into this black hole. So when President Donald Trump talks about the fake news, the, the media, and how unfair the media is, think about that. This proves it right there. But it was also, it was also, uh, on that same day, um, in August of 2016, the Wall Street Journal confirmed, despite CNN, and I have to say this, it was in August of 2016 that CNN denied, firmly denied, uh, that, or first stated that the investigation did not exist. So what I'm telling you is fake news. Fox in August 2016 and print columnists and, and print media said, look, there's an investigation going on. CNN said, no, there's not. In fact, CNN in August 2016 said with certainty the investigation did not exist. No, that's in August 2016. That same month, think about this, the Wall Street Journal confirmed, yes, there is an ongoing investigation of the Clinton Foundation. Now, um, and by the way, in that Wall Street Journal piece, there was a lot of new information. God bless you. A lot of new... Inv- <laughs> that was my daughter, Jackie, by the way, in the studio. There was a lot of new investigation uh, or a lot of new details about the investigation. 
They note in that article that the investigation began before October of 2015, while Obama was still in office. And this is where the problems exist. Because Obama, using his executive powers and powers of influence, at that time, told the Justice Department, hands off, stay off. Now, by February of 2016, there were five FBI field offices involved in this investigation. They were collecting information about the foundation to see if there was evidence of financial fraud, financial crimes, or influence peddling. These dates are extremely important, and this action is extremely important. The Los Angeles um, field office, they developed an interest in the Clinton Foundation from an unrelated public corruption case. Okay? A public corruption case that they, they were working on, it overlapped into the Clinton Foundation. And this is important because in my previous videos, I talk about donors to the Clinton Foundation. And if the Clinton Foundation is found to be, uh, an un, like a rogue charity or a not, not registered properly, the donors themselves could very well be on the hook for anything they had written off as a contribution to charity. Okay, now. The Washington, D.C. office, this is back again, we're talking about October, uh, or by February of, of 2016. The Washington, D.C. field office, it was investigating the financial relationship involving Virginia Governor, of course, Terry McAuliffe, uh, who was on the board of the Clinton Foundation at that time. Now this is extremely critical, and don't forget, his wife, Jill McCabe, uh, what was going, or I'm sorry, uh, you know, you get so many, so many things in your, so many names you and stuff. Jill McCabe. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Forget that. Okay, I got so many names and stuff bouncing around in my head. In Little Rock, the Little Rock office of the FBI, uh, we're also interviewing witnesses. Now, the FBI office in New York City, in the Jacob Javits Federal Building, also interviewing people. Okay, so in mid-July of 2016, the New York office took charge of the investigation into the Clinton Foundation. The Little Rock, Arkansas office provided assistance. Under Obama, that flipped. And this is important to realize. This is according to my source. Again, I spoke to my source over the weekend, and this is in addition to the videos, information contained in the previous videos. I'm telling you, the noose is tightening around the, the necks of the deep state globalists, including and especially Hillary Clinton. And Huba Abedin has a lot to be worried about because she was the conduit between the donors, as we saw as evidenced by the emails contained in the Podesta leak, the Podesta email leak, in addition to everything else. One thing that we saw with absolute certainty was Huma Abedin, uh, uh, stroking Doug Band uh, and, and contributors and setting up access. She was like the gatekeeper and conduit for access to Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. There can be no doubt about this. I'm telling you right now, what we're seeing here, the influence peddling, the access is undeniable. And it's even reported and documented in, in publications such as the Wall Street Journal. If you go back in time, again, uh, future confirms past, or future proves past, whatever. Now, 
the uh, Wall Street Journal, if you if you read that article, reports that the senior the senior Justice Department officials have continued and repeatedly voiced skepticism about the strength of the evidence that the FBI was developing, and this was because of the effort and they were defanged the agents were uh, sidelined or not sidelined but uh, uh, the investigation went sideways because of the leadership of the FBI and it's a very interesting read in the Wall Street Journal now um, some investigators some FBI agents grew absolutely they were livid they grew frustrated they grew tired they viewed the FBI leadership and that includes Comey. That includes all of the other FBI uh, leadership leaderships uh, positions of leadership uh, within the FBI. The last thing in again in February 2016, the FBI agents presented their evidence on the foundation to senior Justice Department officials, but those officials decided not to give the investigation the legal backing to convene a grand jury, which is necessary in these cases. Which means that, again, the, the, the FBI did not have any, any subpoena power, power subpoena. You can't compel witnesses. Loretta Lynch, at the direction of Obama and under pressure by Bill Clinton, and remember that tarmac meeting. Remember that tarmac meeting. What was discussed? This is what this is all about. The influence peddling, the, uh, and, and and this confirms it. Uh, I'm telling you right now, the research that I've been able to do, and the context, uh, the, the context that I've made over this past weekend, the conversations that I've had with one specific contact, they're, they're t- this one contact said, "Look, the investigation is going full steam ahead, and the Department of Justice is changing now, uh, or at least allowing the investigation to proceed forward." One more thing. It was on October 30th of 2016. The Daily Caller confirmed five field offices, and this through their sources as well. Now, the Washington Post, it's, by the way, (laughs) during this time, the Clinton Foundation said, no, there's no investigation going on. There's, There's nothing going on whatsoever. But the the Washington Post said, "Oh yes, there is." Uh, that's the Washington Post. It, it, they confirmed the Wall Street Journal's claims, and the Post emphasized that the investigation was blocked by the Justice Department. How's that for a moment of clarity? The integrity. Um, I'm sorry, it was blocked by the Justice Department's Public Integrity Section, um, and and this was you can find this on the Washington Post, October. 30th of 2016. So, just to summarize this, the rules of the game now have changed. It, uh, I, I can see where the Department of Justice, or at least the investigation as it stands under Donald Trump and at the direction of Donald Trump, is now turning their sights on Hillary Clinton. And for those of you who believe or think that, look, nothing's going to come of this, you've got multiple investigations that overlap from the email investigation to the foundation investigation, as well as other investigations that over, that overlap into this. You've got the House 
uh, Intelligence Committee and Senate Judiciary Committees, both looking at matters related to Hillary Clinton. And again, for those of you who who, who believe, well, why are we, you know, why now? Well, you know something. If you rob a bank and uh, you're you're a city councilman or mayor and you lose the race, are, are the are the are the uh, uh, federal officials not going to go after you because well, you lost a, uh, your your public position? Of course not. Damage has been done. Real people have been hurt. Crimes have been committed. Justice must be done. Excellent information and reporting. Did you see the latest from the Hill today on the FBI agent's text messages spur congressional probe into possible news leaks and also the fact that there might be an investigation into James Comey as uh, a leaker who leaked classified information? But this article from the Hill talks about the invest the, the Senate committees that are investigating whether leaders of the Russia counterintelligence investigation had contacts with the news media that resulted in improper leaks, prompted in part by text messages among senior FBI officials mentioning specific reporters, news organizations, and articles. Excuse me. The article goes on to point out um, some more communications that, from what we've seen earlier between Peter Strauch and Lisa Page. There was a series of texts before the election day 2016 suggested they knew in advance about articles in the Wall Street Journal and would need to pretend to stumble across the story in order to share it with their team. And in these messages that are on here, they detail how they can make it appear as though they, they stumble over the article organically rather than knowing it was there. And they talk about how to do this. The article is out, uh, Page texted, and Strauch fired back. Uh, that was fast. And then they talk about how to share it with their team without making it look like they already had it prepared to give to them. I can get it like I do every other article that hits any Google News alerts, Strauch wrote, adding he didn't want his team hearing about the article from someone else. Anyway, we know Strauch's role in the Russia election probe that we saw. We see Robert Mueller has taken over, and we know his role in the Hillary Clinton email investigations. And this article goes on to talk about that and some of the texts that are between Strauch and Page uh, refer to information about the email investigation from the personnel to uh, articles that came out in the public, one specifically, uh, a New York Times report, where after this report came out, they said that this is too specific uh, of information in the Washington Post about a timeline in the controversial Hillary Clinton email investigation. Then they look for the reporter and try to get the reporter's name and address and his, his spouse's name. But go to the Hill and read this article because it's really long and detailed, and some of these communications are in there. Now, we have to create our own timeline. We should create, uh, Eric, like we were going to do with Las Vegas. Uh, I've got a timeline. But no, it's specific to what? To how many invest? What investigations are ongoing? Uh, I've, uh, you know what, from the Strauch to the Comey to Clinton to, <laughs> you, you want your head to, it, folks, we need you want like your a head flow chart. We need a flowchart. In fact, uh, John, who's in the studio in my office, if you want to get it, if you don't mind, uh, there, there, it's goldenrod paper, and it's, uh, it's on my metal, uh, it's on the the metal uh, holder on my desk. It's on the. As you walk in, it's on the right-hand side of my desk. It's printed in landscape format. You'll you'll see it. It's a 
It's a spreadsheet. I guess I'm going to show people this. What do you think about the Washington Post report that says Mueller may interview Trump within weeks? Do you think that his lawyers would actually let that happen? You know, look, I don't know. To be honest with you, I, I don't know. I don't have a good handle on what's taking place. Thank you, sir. John's a great guy, by the way. I, uh, John Robertson, our producer. I, look, I don't have a great handle on uh, what's going on in the internal workings of the probe, but I will say this. Those people who believe that Mueller is working on behalf of Donald Trump, I think I think they're mistaken. I really do. By the way, Joe, you haven't seen this. This is I've been working on the timeline, and I uh, th- this... Uh, this, folks, for those people watching on YouTube, this is a timeline. Here's page one. Um, all those are... are uh, is this the email scandal? Is this uh, it, it's, the whole it's, DOJ FBI it's thing? everything. Okay. That's page one. Here's page two. And, and here's page three. Here's page four, five, and six. And the, re- the reason I show this... To, to the people is, is so people know that we do our homework and we do research. You're not going to like it when I make you write all that on a whiteboard that we bring down here. Well, you're going to have to get, we need a bigger whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. We're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, this begins, I mean, this, by the way, this, I, I've named this timeline of treason and it's not ready for prime time yet, but this goes from really from, uh, 2014, uh, subsequent to Hillary's departure from being Secretary of State to the present. But uh, the uh, in this, a lot of this deals with the email. A lot of this deals, well, with the uh, uh, foundation. Foundation, thank you. And by the way, speaking of the email, we are we are fall or we are investigating the fire that took place at the Chappaqua House, but also uh, I just want people to understand this, and I don't know how many people know this. Of course, we, 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 through research, we know who bleach bit, uh, did the bleach bit on the servers. But folks, did you know there are two servers? Two servers. One in the Chappaqua house, and when, when the, the server was taken from the Chappaqua house to the, uh, data center in Secaucus, New Jersey, there was a second server there. Did you know that? Coming up, Jerome Corsi, Dr. Jerome Corsi, a favorite good friend of ours, and, uh, he's gonna be talking about a lot of, Issues related to uh, the most well as most recent article on Infowars.com. We'll be right back. edition of the Hagman Report. I don't want to take really any time from our next guest, Dr. Jerome Corsi. He, of course, is the head of the Washington Bureau for Infowars.com. Just a tremendous intellectual, a prolific author. By the way, Dr. Jerome Corsi's latest book, uh, The Killing the Deep State, The Fight to Save President Trump, it's coming out on the 20th of uh, February of this year. You can pre-order it at Amazon. In fact, the link uh, is available or will be available in the show description.
description. I've got to tell you, it's it's worth every penny. And and this gentleman, Dr. Corsi, of course, we've interviewed, we've had him on. I've met, we've met him in person. Joe and I have, just a tremendous man. So I'm not going to take any time away from Dr. Corsi, uh, except to say, Dr. Corsi, welcome to the Hagman Report, and thanks for coming on. Uh, great pleasure to be with you. With Oh, I think um, we we kind of lost your audio there for a sec, Dr. Corsi. All right. So we got the audio now? We do. Man, whatever you did, just, yeah, then that's good. How's the audio now? We got the audio now? 100%. 100%. It's just I've been, been rushing, trying to get um, it. It's been a very, very busy day today. I've done all kinds of things. Good to be with you tonight. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you something. You've done uh, a lot of great analysis on the phenomenon on the uh, QAnon phenomenon, and we'd like to get your take. And you did a fantastic interview. If people haven't seen it, Tracy Beans, of course, uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi. I watched it twice. Um, but uh, And you've written, of course, the latest article at InfoWars, the uh, Trump to con- counterattack deep state in 2018. Fantastic article. So here it is right here. Dr. Corsi, would you, uh, do you want to, can we start talking about your assessment of the QAnon posts? Would you like to, would you like to do that? Sure, let's just jump into it. Um, I started really looking at them seriously, the QAnon posts, uh, about three weeks ago, I guess it is. Um, I caught on to them really at the time when uh, Donald Trump signed the executive order on the, um, uh, confiscating through the Treasury the assets of uh, human rights abusers around the world. Uh, and QAnon had linked it to Eric Schmidt from Google, actually of Alphabet, uh, resigning the same day. And that really caught my attention because, you know, the coincidence of that was when I had been watching. And when I saw the QAnon post that this was not a coincidence, I decided I'd better dig more deeply into the QAnon phenomenon and started really researching the past posts, uh, what I could find out about who QAnon was, and I determined for myself pretty quickly that whomever the QAnon identity is, uh, there's an intel background. I mean, the, the nature of the posts, the nature of what's being communicated is clearly an intel background, intelligence operations background. Uh, and the person who is communicating this information is obviously uh, very close to Donald Trump and in coordination with Donald Trump. So that caught my attention, and I began decoding the uh, QAnon uh, messages so that the average person could understand what was being said, because these were all kind of an intelligence shorthand. And that's really how I got started. And I, I guess it's been a you know an increasing involvement. Uh, since about three weeks ago, uh, and um, the information being revealed, the links and the connections being revealed by QAnon uh, are, are very uh, much exposing the deep state. They're things that we've worked on for a long time. I've been on the Hagman Report for many years talking about things that are just now coming to light, and QAnon, I think, is going to be a great catalyst, a uh, very, very important source to bring these in, this information uh, to the American public, and a role I'd like to be able to play and hope to be able to play is the translation and the connecting of the dots from what uh, QAnon is saying rather cryptically and in intelligence uh, shorthand 
so the average person can really follow it, get deeply involved, um, get involved with the research, uh, learn how to use the 8chan or the various uh, subreddit posts and really follow this phenomenon. And then I'll be covering it on Infowars.com and we'll be writing articles about it uh, to make what QAnon is saying accessible to people who do not want to or have the time or the ability to get that deeply into the uh, dark recesses of the Internet to really follow uh, QAnon and 8chan directly. Boy, I'll tell you something. You and I can't think of a better person to do this with your intelligence background, your connections. You're able to, but first of all, you're able to look at the postings and tell that it's consistent with someone uh, in in a position of uh, that clearance level and with an intelligence background. If I'm hearing you correctly, and then of course you will serve as the translator of of between that and of course the people like us who are just you know we just don't have the uh, intelligence coding background and the, and the ability to recognize words and phrases. So that's fantastic. And Infowars.com is where to where to go, and and of course uh, your appearances appearances elsewhere now and here and elsewhere. Uh, Dr. Corsi, what do you in your assessment? I know you've conducted hours of research. What what do you believe is the most important or significant posting by QAnon to date? If you can, oh, there have been so many of them now. I'm convinced that. Uh, first of all, the, the connecting of the dots is extremely important. Uh, and let me kind of just uh, uh, drill down on that for a minute or two. Um, there have been some postings, for instance, on, I'm just decoding, it was working on them today, uh, on the Iranian situation and uh, the Ahmadinejad having been now uh, arrested by the state. You um, have President Obama who sent over Airplanes full of cash, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars to Iran in cash. We don't really know how much exactly was sent. And the Post and QAnon are basically saying, um, uh, Hillary and others, Obama better be pretty worried about this. How many planes were actually sent? Well, we don't know. Where did the, why was cash sent? And again, that's something, you know, the, the only reason you send cash is because it's the only way to transfer money that you really can't trace. Uh, cash, especially in that quantity, uh, you know, pallets full of cash on a cargo plane are essentially worthless to anyone. You have to enter them into the banking system. And here Q is saying, well, how do they get in, entered into the banking system? What were we buying? Who are we paying off? So through a series of connecting the dots and questions, uh, QAnon is directing your attention to a major scandal, the Obama administration, with a payoff to Iran that probably ended up in the hands of terrorists all over the world, uh, and that clearly in the way that QAnon lays it out and directs our thinking, uh, fueled the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, fit into the Obama plan to support the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, was really part of the United States creating ISIS and to have an intelligence source like QAnon leading the conversation you know my basic role is to kind of be a um, translator to take what I know the research I've done the connections I can make the ability to write it in a way that the average person can see what's being discussed and how it fits together um, suddenly kind of a light bulb goes on 
And you say, yeah, why was President Obama sending cargo planes filled with cash uh, to Iran? And once it got to Iran, of course, you know, a, a whole pile of $100 bills isn't going to do anybody much good. They right. had to get it into the banking system. They had to be money laundered. So QAnon asked, well, where was, where did it get into the banking system? How did it get into the banking system? Do we, do we know the answer to that, by the way? Uh, to some extent we do and to some extent we don't, but what you can connect it to is that, you know, going back to HSBC, which I helped to break open the information they were laundering money, they paid a $1.9 billion fee, nobody went to jail. Um, the major banks, going back to a series of um, CIA-connected banks, BCCI. I mean, it goes way, way back to uh, the Nugent Hand Affair, which is in the 1990s, uh, maybe even earlier, 1980s. Uh, the CIA running banks, the CIA running drug money, CIA monitoring the drug money. You know, we are the Mexican cartels. The Mexican cartels operate with the full knowledge of the United States. Uh, it's, it's unimaginable that they could have run billions of dollars in drugs and get it through the banking system and we would not be monitoring it in Treasury and CIA and the NSA. And, you know, we've known from many authors uh, who've done, you know, extraordinary work going back into the Vietnam era that from the very beginning, going back to the end of World War II, the U.S. intelligence agencies in Southeast Asia were a key part of the drug business, and they've never stopped. Right. And so these are the connections that QAnon is forcing us to look at, and I want to translate them in a way the American people can look at the history, look at what the impact is, and really examine the politics, the deep state politics that are involved. And one thing I've got to to say, Dr. Corsi, is this. Reading the QAnon posts and then reading your article today and then your your reference to to the Muslim Brotherhood, I've got to tell you, you called this in your previous books about Obama and the Muslim Brotherhood. What you wrote, what, two, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, well, in fact, the first book I wrote on, on Iran was in 2005. And I've got that book. Uh, Atomic Iran. Atomic Iran. That's uh, Yeah, I've got that book. And I was arguing then that, you know, if looking at uh, President um, Clinton and John Kerry and Carter giving nuclear fuel to North Korea and to Iran and, and essentially arguing that they wanted to support the Islamic State uh, the support for the Muslim Brotherhood, which you know, I, from the beginning, found offensive because the Muslim Brotherhood goes back to World War II with the Mufti of Jerusalem in the 1930s created the Muslim Brotherhood as a radical organization to kill Jews, get them out of the Middle East. And Hitler identified and brought in the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, Yasser Arafat, who created the Palestinians, which are completely made-up group. I mean, the Yasser Arafat was Egyptian. He was Muslim Brotherhood, born in Egypt. It had nothing to do with Palestine. Uh, the whole idea of Iran, I mean, you know, you go back to this history and you realize that Himmler, in Nazi Germany, had decided the swastika came from the Himalayas and the path for the Aryan people was the migration centuries ago through Iran into Germany 
mingling with the tribes and, and becoming the Aryan nation. Well, Iran is Persia, and it was renamed in World War II or thereabouts uh, Iran because in Farsi, Iran means Aryan, and it's the origin of the Aryan people. And so when you really connect to who the Muslim Brotherhood are, uh, they're a determined group of um, radical Sunnis who are determined uh, to create a caliphate again, as in the Ottoman Empire, and to um, eradicate all Jews from the Middle East. And Hitler, of course, found in the Mufti of Jerusalem a natural ally. So I've been watching the Muslim Brotherhood and studying it and realizing that President Obama embraced the Muslim Brotherhood and promoted the Muslim Brotherhood. When Morsi was president of Egypt, uh, he, President Obama and Hillary Clinton promoted the Muslim Brotherhood. When uh, Morsi was deposed and, you know, the, the current regime came on in, um, Obama cut off aid because the Egyptians were basically criminalizing the Muslim Brotherhood as terrorists right. and arresting them. Yep. And Clinton, you know, and Obama had both, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama had both been supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. Now you get to QAnon, and QAnon in one post is connecting Ahmadinejad, the money that went over to Ahmadinejad in airplanes. You know, who is the Muslim Brotherhood? Uh, who is Huma Ahmadine, who is Muslim Brotherhood? And when you put together these dots and these connections, you realize that QAnon is, first of all, brilliant, uh, second of all, intelligence-oriented, and third, plugged into the White House, because these posts are being coordinated with Trump's tweets. And this is, I think, you know, the the role I'm playing is to try to write this up and decode it in a way that the average person can look at the very, very cryptic QAnon posts and begin to realize the deep state picture that he is exposing and what QAnon calls a, a great awakening, which which I think QAnon will affect. Okay. Now, now I, I know, of course, we, we've got the calm before the storm and the storm, and I'm referring to the political climate as opposed to the threads. Uh, based on what what you've read from QAnon and your and your translation of that, have we moved in the political climate today from the calm before the storm to the storm, or is that yet, or, or have we not seen that yet? No, I, I think that's happened. In fact, over the weekend there was a whole um, issue about the identity of QAnon and whether there was imposter posting. And in the process of really getting that established and getting some new protocols put into place, QAnon moved from a 8chan, which is a very, you know, deep internet bulletin board, uh, that was the 8chan calm before the storm, quit posting there, and he started posting on the 8chan the storm. And I think that was significant uh, because that change that occurred over the weekend uh, reflected a ramping up. You know, now we're not just now preparing. Now we're into the battle fully. The storm is upon us. And I've said from the beginning of this year that 2018 will be the year of the um, counterattack that Donald Trump is going to wage against the deep state. And this is going to be a uh, 
a battle of enormous proportions, which will determine whether or not the American Republic as a constitutional republic uh, sustains or does not. Uh, depending upon Donald Trump's success or failure, we will have a coup d'etat, which will replace the, the Constitution with a globalist socialist state, which is what Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama wanted to impose. And this is a battle of classic and heroic proportions, which is going to be waged in an intelligence front, and the average American person would be unaware of it had there not been an entity like QAnon who would come forward from a knowledgeable position to start dropping the clues, the breadcrumbs, as he says, that will lead people uh, to the research they need to do and the understanding they need to achieve to see how our intelligence agencies, our justice system, the FBI have been corrupted, the IRS, uh, and how dangerous this is. We're and you know, a thread, the republic is hanging by a thread. And it's now going to be Donald Trump's unique opportunity to save it. And I don't think there's anybody better that I can think of in the political landscape uh, to be on the scene than Donald Trump. I've known him for 40 years and uh, have complete confidence in him. What What do you think we're going to see in 2018 as far as this storm? Do you think we're going to see... Uh, Hillary Clinton held accountable from the pay-to-play to her email scandal. And then what are some of the events, the events that you think we'll, we'll see front and center in the news media that will be able to lead back to, to this Q stuff and engage more Americans in what's going on? Well, there's, let me just give you, I think, one that's in development right now. Uh, I, I decoded a Q post that was made around Christmas time. I finally figured it out around New Year's, and Q was signaling that Julian Assange was going to uh, leave London and go to Switzerland to come to the United States. And he gave the dates and the times that, that Julian Assange was going to be extracted from London on the 5th of January, the 6th of January, and he gave some of the operational coordinates of how the operation was going to be done. Uh, I started writing about this and realized that there were other events which were corroborating this. The um, Donald Trump had sent into the U.S. District Court case that Roger Stone was involved in uh, regarding Julian Assange and the emails. And the U.S. attorneys representing the White House argued, according to U.S. Times v. Sullivan, a Supreme Court case and U.S. New York Times v. U.S., the Pentagon Papers case, that Julian Assange had a right to publish the DNC and Podesta emails, even if they were stolen. And that's actually correct according to constitutional law. But it was shocking to see the president send in attorneys to make that argument in federal district court when Pompeo, head of the CIA, and Jeff Sessions were both saying they wanted to arrest Assange. Uh, President Trump under he, he did away with the underpinning of that argument. Now, secondly, uh, you've got a situation where in Great Britain, a tribunal came out and said that Assange was media, which means that he has all kinds of protections even under British law. And then Sweden dropped the rape case, which meant that the arrest, the European arrest warrant that had been set out for Julian Assange was canceled. Now, these events all happen in rapid sequence, and I wrote an article 
for InfoWars saying, um, is President Trump preparing the path for Julian Assange to leave London? Well, you know, the word I'm getting is Julian Assange is out of London and that he's on his way to the United States. Now, That's how about good the... Good news. Um, good news. Well, and, and well, let's get it confirmed by Julian Assange showing up. It's not out of the question that Julian Assange may, might just show up at the White House with a presentation with President Trump and the release of another set of emails or another set of documents which will change the narrative of the Russian collusion or the deep state as dramatically as Julian Assange changed the narrative during the election when he released the DNC and Podesta emails in the drip, drip, drip fashion, the you know 70,000 emails or so that he released which fundamentally changed the discourse of the uh, 2016 presidential election. Could do it again. Fantastic. And Dr. Corsi, he's, his newest book due to come out uh, next month, Killing the Deep State, The Fight to Save President Trump. I've got to tell you, um, folks, pre-order this book. It, it is perhaps... The well, look, all Doctor Corsi's books are great, but this is specific. I, I like this one. Uh, I got an advanced kind of peek because I went through uh, Doctor Corsi's garbage. I drove down and I went through. <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, no, you, you can't do that anymore. You know, digital stuff it makes it hard to do that. But but uh, I'm going to thank you for for writing that book. Uh, we only have about uh, I don't know three minutes left. You've got the floor, sir. Well, I, I think that I'm going to encourage everyone to continue to to start getting into the QAnon posts and to really start following them. I'm going to be uh, decoding them as we go along and um, posting those up on Scribd. Uh, and uh, there's a subreddit. There's a you know which you can look at uh, that gives kind of a a link to my articles and a discussion of what's going on. As I write articles in InfoWars, if you just click my links, you'll get to these deeper sources. So if you follow my articles in InfoWars, they're going to lead you into the deeper environments of where you can see QAnon directly. Uh, QAnon is posting on, you know, what used to be called the dark internet. It's certainly a, a bulletin board that takes expertise to even navigate. It's not easy to find. But my links will take you right there. And what we're doing in the um, subreddit uh, and also doing in the decoding uh, and my articles, is we're going to try to make this very easily readable and accessible. And you're going to get a real feel of what QAnon is about and what he's doing. I intend to also continue doing some of these YouTube uh, videos. I'm very happy to be with the Hagman Report tonight. I've been with the Hagman Report over the years. It's been a very, very valuable and important source of getting out intelligence information. I'm deeply grateful to be here. And um, I'll be pleased with Tracy, and I think we'll do more, because uh, the, the key is to make this information publicly accessible, where people can really get their arms around it. And that's why I write books to try to get this information out there. And this is going to be an historic opportunity to support Donald Trump in a an effort we need to make to reestablish the Constitution. 
Amen. Dr. Corsi, we know you're a, a real busy guy. I want to, we both, Joe and I want to thank you for your appearance tonight. Uh, and certainly we urge everyone to get a hold of your next book or your upcoming book, Killing the Deep State. Um, of course, available uh, effective February 20th of, of this year. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's just fantastic. So, again, our appreciation to you for what you're doing on behalf of our constitutional republic, on behalf of President Donald Trump, but most importantly, on behalf of the American people. Thank you so very much for everything you're doing, sir. Well, it's a great pleasure and honor to be back with you, and I hope to come back soon. Indeed, we'll have you. God bless you, my friend. All right. Folks, that was Dr. Jerome Corsi. What a, you know, we've met, Joe, you and I met him in person in, uh, yep. I, I can't remember what city we were in, but I think it was Orlando, right? Or no, was it, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what city it was, but the fact of the matter is, you talk about one of the most brilliant minds, uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Where is, was that? I, I don't, I don't, I've got a picture. Maybe the picture will, uh, uh, was it Fat Dog or, yeah, never mind. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, maybe the picture will, will, uh. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have to find us. that during the break, maybe, yeah. cause that's just gonna stick in my mind until we, we do remember. But no, uh, uh, great information, absolutely. And definitely something, you know, we're all obviously keeping our eyes on. And, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. And you know, it, it, Joe and I, of course, and when Tracy came on, and, and what a, what a great lady, young lady she is. When Tracy came on, it, it was, it, it was scripted so, we attempted to appeal to those people who believe, who don't believe in QAnon and do, do believe in QAnon. But, but, but you know what? The, it's not about just one person or one man. It's about the movement, isn't it? It is about the movement. And, you know, I'm still, I'm still not sure of what this is and what's really going on here, but I'm open-minded enough to to follow along and see what happens. But I will always remain skeptical until I see, you know, proof and facts Trust and evidence verify, right? and and whatnot. But anyway, we're gonna when we come back, Matt Bracken oh, is this going is to be, be joined with Doug Papa. They're going to be on together for the next hour and a half. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. of the Hagman Report, shortened to Hagman. It's Hagman and Hagman. It always will be, but shortened to the Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com. That's where you can go to find our newest articles. Joe's got some great postings up. Uh, what, did you, what did you post today, uh, Joe? A couple of things you posted there. And, folks, I would urge yeah, everyone to bookmark that. Posted a few things. One is the uh, Liberal Media Insanity. This is the Stephen Miller and Jake Tapper interview that was uh, very fun to watch. It's a 12-minute interview showing Jake Tapper uh, fumbling around trying to stop Miller from Stephen Miller talking about the accomplishments and uh, some of the truths in the Trump administration. Tapper only wanted to go with the claims in Wolf's book, which were lies even by liberal journalist standards, uh, surprisingly. Do, do you know what they didn't report? That, they, they, that, that Tapper and CNN had their security escorts. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Miller out. Yeah, security. CNN security escorted Tapper out of... Stephen Miller. What did I say? Tapper. Oh, yeah. Stephen Miller. Yeah, see, Tapper cut the interview short 
saying, I think I've wasted enough of my viewers' time. And then Miller was trying to respond to him, and as Miller's talking, the mic gets cut off, and Tapper, <laughs> you know, turns to the, the other camera and starts going off into other issues. And the Washington Free Beacon had a report up there today saying that Miller was escorted out of the building by security, but they went on to say, uh, and there are conflicting reports about this, that he refused to leave. That's why he was escorted out by security. But I have a hard time believing that, yeah. uh, you know, he was... He didn't want to leave CNN. I'm not, I'm not leaving. Yeah, you couldn't get me out of there fast enough. I'll yeah. tell you that. Now, be, before we get to our guests, I want to tell you, you know, this is already the eighth day of January 2018. It's a brand new year. Let me ask you, are you, do you want a business out there? Are you in charge of hiring? You know, that's a daunting task, but a fresh new year has begun. And if you're setting new goals for your business, it's extremely difficult to reach them without the right people on your team. Trust me, I know I've got the right people on my team, Joe and I on our team. We've got John Robertson, a perfect fit. Eric, the tech, a perfect fit. I mean, you could not ask for better people, but if you're looking for that right person to fill your whatever need you have, ziprecruiter.com. I've got to tell you, ziprecruiter.com. If your business Hey, did your business have any New Year's resolutions? Well, an important one every business should consider is making your hiring process much more efficient and much more effective. This year, let ZipRecruiter help. No one has done a better job of transforming how you find the right talent than they have. I mean, trust me when I tell you this has been my experience. ZipRecruiter is different than others. Now, ZipRecruiter posts your job to cover 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And you know something? I'll tell you this. If I can do this, if I can navigate this, you're talking to a guy or listening to a guy who uses a day timer and paper and a pen. I mean, that's high tech for me. But ZipRecruiter has made it so easy for you. ZipRecruiter. Once posted, ZipRecruiter actively, actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invite them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them, which is no wonder that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter, get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Think about that. What a t- how efficient, how effective is that? ZipRecruiter is the absolute smartest way to hire. And again, this has got our stamp of approval on this. Now find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes. I don't care what size your business is. In all industries, I don't care what your industry is, to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, listeners to this show, and what a great deal this is, can post, you can post your jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. Now that's important. Follow this. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. Let me just give you that one more time. ZipRecruiter.com slash Hagman. This is, a, and, and you will thank us later. It's, uh, we, we've already gotten a couple of business owners who have written to us, uh, emails and said, you know what? Thanks for that 
and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but they've used the service and said it's one of the best decisions they've made. So start your new year out right. Start your new year out effective and efficiently. Use ZipRecruiter.com, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash Hagman. Joe, we have our guests with us now. Yes, we do. We have Matt Bracken and Doug Papa. They are coming on together to talk about a number of issues, and they're going to be on not only through this hour, but through the first segment in hour number three. Then we're going to be joined by Alicia Powell. But Doug Papa and Matt Bracken, uh, Mr. Papa, are you with us? Good evening, Joe. Matt, Doug, nice to see you. Top cop, Doug Papa, can't get any better than that. And, uh, of course, Matt Bracken, uh, always fantastic. Thank you both. Uh, Mr. Bracken, can you hear us? Uh, loud and clear. Perfect. Right. And Eric, great job on the split screens there. Yeah. Look at that. So, 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 hey, we're, we're ready to go. This is fantastic. I want to thank both of you. And of course, links to uh, various websites and writings of, uh, by Doug Papa, Matt Bracken uh, in the show description on our, on our homepage. Who wants to start? Do, did you draw straws beforehand? Did you, did you flip a coin? <laughs> Who wants to start? I'll tell you what. Well, let's go to Matt Bracken first. How's that? Is that okay? Yeah, the, the problem Fine. isn't the problem with it, with us two. The problem isn't who starts. It's how how to get either one of us to finish. <laughs> Doug and I, Doug and I might not know the show's over. But we might continue for another couple hours. We've done it before on the te- on the just on the telephone. Oh, I can. You know what? I'd like to be a, uh, a list. I'd like to be the NSA collecting that that uh, the, you know, the intelligence from that phone call. <laughs> and while we can, just real quick, we we got to thank Bill McIntosh and Ocaso Media for setting this up. That's Ocaso Media and Bill McIntosh. Thank you so much. Exactly. Uh, thanks, Bill. And, and so, Mr. Bracken and, and Doug, uh, Papa, of course, our guests. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Let, let's open it up with... Uh, let, let's, let's go ahead and fire away with you, uh, Matt Bracken. Well, just tossing something over towards Doug. Anybody who's watching that's taking notes that wants to write the book on the Las Vegas Massacre... You know, they're going to have to start reading uh, Doug's columns starting right after it happened. You know, that, I think that that's probably the most in-depth reportage that I've seen anywhere on it. You know, including the uh, the you know the the, the goings-on within the uh, Las Vegas Metro Police Department that I guarantee you nobody else has the sources like that. You know, the the, the inside sources. Uh, Doug, how many articles are you up to on on Vegas? Uh... No, is it like just forty? <laughs> yeah, I just finished one the other day, and I believe that's um, thirty-nine or fortieth article, specifically okay. focusing on the Las Vegas massacre on October first. All right, yeah. what what in the world happened? Well, I, I don't. You know, for for us, Joe and I, we were talking before the show. What questions can we even ask? This is like a a black hole of nothingness. Um, you know. Where are we at, uh, Doug Papa? Where are we at right now with respect to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department in providing any information as to uh, what's going on or the how, wherever you want to start? But what's going on with that? We're pretty much nowhere. What we know from what they've been saying for the past three months, they've been dripping out little by little. There's a report allegedly coming out this January, uh, this month. It's, 20, it's January 2018. They said that a couple of weeks ago. There's going to be the LVMPD report on the Las Vegas massacre. What that report is going to contain is anybody's guess, but I can give you probably what it, what it is to say. 
Um, Stephen Paddock was the lone gunman. He committed suicide. Nobody helped him, and there was nobody in the room when this stuff was going on. And they may come up with some type of talking about maybe they're going to say something about some type of motive or something, but it's not going to be anything earth-shattering. Because also, right after that, when the number two guy brought that out a couple of weeks ago, that that report's coming out, Krause, who's the ASAC of the Las Vegas Division of the FBI here, he said the FBI's is going to come the anniversary of the massacre, which would be October 1st, 2018. And I think I said in my article the other day, uh, how does he know that? I mean, uh, I've been doing investigations for 40 years, and people are always asking me when I'm doing something. When's your investigation going to be finished? When are we going to have the report? My answer is, when it's done. So well, how do you know when an investigation or criminal investigation, whatever you're investigating, how can you pinpoint it so close to a certain date? I don't know, but he did that, and maybe they're better than I am. So we have to wait for October for the FBI's report, and sometime this month, According to the number two guy, the undersheriff, Kevin McMahill, um, their report's coming out, the LVMPD, sometime this month. But other than that, there's been nothing. All we've gotten since October 1st are lies, false statements, misleading statements, contradictions, and convoluted statements by the number one and number two person running the police department. So uh, it's been ongoing. That's what they've been doing for three months. Interesting. And, and by the way, for those people who have not seen Doug Papa on Tucker Carlson, you've got to see that. It was a, it was a great appearance. Um, I want your autograph, Doug. Uh, now, Matt Bracken, uh, I, I can't uh, look. I'm looking at this. Does this smack of an intelligence operation gone sideways? Could, could, is it possible given the fact with the timing of, uh, what we saw in Vayer and, uh, Saudi Arabia and also the, you know, and, and I know that maybe I'm asking for a speculative answer of, of course, but could it be, could it be something, you know, perhaps of that scale? Well, as, as badly as it was, as it was bungled, you know, with all the delays getting to the room, getting into the room, et cetera, um, that opened the door wide open for every kind of a conspiracy theory, you know, to be floated because there was obviously time for, you know, the cleanup crews to get in there before the, you know, before the police did. Um, but that said, going back to what Doug was saying about them announcing the date of the report being a year, a year later, well, anybody, Intelligent, you know, is going to realize that just means that's a political calendar date. Has nothing to do with the actual investigation. That's designed to put the pressure off until at least October 1, 2018. But anytime in September, they can say there's new information coming out and the report will be delayed. So what the, the, the telling us a date that's so far in the future is basically just telling us don't bug us and that the nexus that I'd like to draw between Washington FBI headquarters and the Las Vegas massacre is that is that um, politics have taken over. The FBI has become politicized. In the, in the case of Washington headquarters, it was weaponized against Trump. Um, in the case of of Las Vegas, I think that you know the corrupting forces in Las Vegas are uh, the showbiz. The show has to go on. We can't let uh, bad reports kill tourism in Las Vegas. And in both the case of Washington headquarters and Las Vegas with the FBI and LVMPD, um, politics will always win over the truth. You know, it, it's like the, uh, the, the, 
the plot of the movie Jaws. You know, there's a shark coming around the beach. We don't want the tourists to know that. So the, the you know, the, the uh, town fathers just want to put the kibosh on any shark stories. And in, in uh, Washington headquarters, it, it's gone completely off the rails politically. Uh, the old FBI second saying on their badge, fidelity, bravery, integrity, that's pretty much blown up. It was blown up at FBI headquarters. The problem, though, is that it's very difficult for people to maintain integrity down the chain of command when they see that at the top of the chain of command, politics has completely taken over. I mean, how can, how can any police chief, uh, go against, you know, corruption in their own ranks when they see that they're not being supported from above or from below? Or, I'm the, the, you know, the rank and file see corrupt police chiefs. It goes all the way up the line to FBI headquarters. So until this is all cleaned out, I don't think anybody's going to have much faith in law, in law enforcement, um, at the, you know, at the brass, at the, at the, you know, the major brass level, whether it's FBI headquarters or the Las Vegas massacre. I think we just take it for granted that they're blowing smoke for political reasons and, you know, their, their, their integrity's out the window. Yeah. Uh, Doug Papa, I want to ask, throw this out to you and then, uh, Matt, if you can pick up. Are you, Doug, are you surprised that we haven't in all this time seen something slip from Paddock's background? Uh, whether it's a, you know, an ex-girlfriend, a classmate, a coworker, nothing, nothing from the, the internet, nothing from his past. We've only seen uh, his family. Or is that even a bigger indicator that maybe he doesn't exist as, as he's been sold to us? You know, that whole thing with Paddock's investigation is uh, extremely suspicious. I don't know why people aren't talking that knew him. Maybe they were told not to talk, because you got to look at it this way. He's a human being. He didn't. He wasn't born on Mars. He wasn't born on the moon. He had jobs earlier in life. He worked for, I think, one of the starting companies. I think it was for Northrop Grumman years ago. He had a security clearance. Um, you know, they're saying he had real estate. Um, you know, they haven't released one bit of documentation so far. And, and I don't think we're ever going to get anything to back up anything they've been saying. I say they, I mean the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, because pretty much the FBI hasn't been saying much. It's uh, Sheriff Joe Lombardo and, to some extent, Under Sheriff Kevin McMahill, who's been talking to the press for three months up until October 13th when they stopped doing all the press conferences. But, you know, I look at it this way. They've been saying, you know, he became a millionaire by playing uh, video poker. I spent 20 years in the hotel casino industry. And I was director of two properties. And I can tell you this, um, it's highly unlikely you become a millionaire by playing video poker. I understand they said he had some real estate holdings, but guy's not a mystery man. He may be a mystery man that's telling us he is, but I, I, I bet this. The FBI right now, and I think they're the ones that are doing pretty much this whole investigation from the start. Once they realized the LBMP had screwed up the initial, we could get into that later. But I think they've been doing the majority of this investigation and I'm not going to believe for one minute, whether it's now or a year or five years from now, that they don't know everything about Stephen Paddock. This guy was talking to people. He was buying guns, if you believe them. And nobody knew anything about what he was doing. I'm just not buying it. You know what they have to do here, too, is need to trace the money. I always do on investigations. I always say you got to trace the money. No matter what investigation you're doing, if it's fraud, financial crimes, whatever, theft, embezzlement, trace the money. Find out where this guy originally got his money from to invest in real estate. What made him a, quote, millionaire, if that 
exactly what he is, because I haven't seen any documentation to prove one way or another whether this guy was rich or poor. That's what you have to do. And I'm sure they're doing that, but I don't think we're ever really going to know the results if they keep on the mantra that they're telling us, that he was a lone shooter, they knew what he was going to do, his girlfriend didn't know, and I don't buy that either. I think the girlfriend is, is lying her butt off to the, to the FBI since the start. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. Matt, what do you think about the the lack of information, not only on the motive, but, but specifically about Paddock? And does that lack of information speak to anything else that might be going on with, with uh, this man? Well, in, in terms of tradecraft, um, the video poker only makes sense in, ter- in, in uh, respect to money laundering. You know, to turn a million dollars of uh, shady money into uh, you know $950,000 of legit money you know, you just sit in the in the casino. So nobody makes money doing that, but they do turn shady money into legit money. So that's that's one explanation for him being such a, a, a video poker aficionado. Nobody ever thinks that they're going to make money at that. That's ridiculous. You know, that's like I, I got a bridge to sell you. Um, and my mind can't help going into the fact that with the 22 guns, which is you know about. Uh, Ten times overkill for the job he had at hand. Um, there was could have been something else afoot in terms of a gun scheme, either as a showroom to show somebody guns, things like that. But um, I have to think possibly, and this is pure conjecture. This would explain the uh, the FBI putting the clamps on his background. If he had any background as a as a as an inf- confidential informant. As a contract worker, I mean, the guy is just too cute. He's a guy who's got airplane pilot licenses, has owned airplanes, which means he can fly off the grid. He can, you know, travel hundreds of miles a day, a thousand miles a day, basically off the grid to do meetings, to hand, you know, suitcases full of whatever off to people. That's a very, you know, that's a very convenient uh, uh, trade to have or skill to have. You know, he's got multiple rental properties that have him flying between states. He's very interesting in that respect, and we don't know anything about him. It makes me wonder if they're afraid that some kind of past, either with, you know, with the FBI as an informant, CIA, ATF, somebody, you know, if there was any connection with him in the back, in the you know, in the past decades, they're going to want to just bury it because it'll be so embarrassing. It's always better to get this information out early. You know, if somebody like Jerome Corsi uncovers it later, then it'll just throw the door open completely, you know, to conspiracy speculations that he was part of an ongoing ATF, FBI, CIA, you know, some kind of, of nefarious shenanigans. But in the past, we have certainly seen this. Even with the, uh, the JFK, uh, revelations over the past year, what's been redacted even today, are things that would embarrass the FBI and CIA, you know, where they're just shown to have been really incompetent, where where uh, Oswald was throwing off red flares, basically saying, you know, you better have guys telling me because I'm going to do something really crazy. And what's still being redacted after decades and decades since the 60s aren't things that would show that, you know, the mafia did it or or but only that the FBI and CIA were incredibly incompetent in certain respects. 
And that kind of thing, even in Las Vegas, can continue. No, no police department wants to be shown to be seriously incompetent. And ditto with the FBI. Let's say he was part of, had been part of some, some scheme, some federal law enforcement scheme. They will not want that to come out. Like after the Oklahoma City bombing, there were, there were other people besides McVeigh that had been, um, uh, you know, in that militia shady background that were definitely FBI confidential informants. You know, and they just, rather than saying, okay, look, we didn't do the building, but we did know some things, and maybe we should have not compartmented it so tightly. To save that embarrassment, they'll just they'll just throw a black blanket over the whole story. And I think something like that might be going on with Paddock. Doug Papa, your thoughts on this, and and also uh, scuttlebutt that you're hearing uh, within the LVMPD. I agree with Matt said on the JFK and what's going on over here. Um, the FBI knows um, a hell of a lot more than without saying anything. I mean, they, they usually they have no comment, but I'm not going to believe that they don't know a whole hell of a lot about Stephen Paddock. You know, he's been out of the country. He's been over in the Middle East. They've been saying it's early on um, all this stuff. So they 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 know volumes on, on his background. Whether we ever find that out is another. I want to bring something up here because it, it, it you know, it's bothered me for, for a couple of months. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, Sheriff Joe Lombardi, when I say the LVMPD, I want people to understand something, okay? When I criticize, I'm criticizing the command structure of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I'm not criticizing, I even wrote stories. The police officers that night that were in the concert venue were heroic. They saved lives. They uh, put people in patrol cars. They would put turnips on people. They would drive them to the hospitals. If it wasn't what they did, there would be a hell of a lot more dead bodies if the concert venue than was. And the officers that went into that hotel, they were there two, three, four minutes after the firing stopped. They were in that stairwell. That was a remarkable response. But you know what happened after that? The command, the command structure. They were told, and Sheriff Lombardo said this several times on interviews, and I don't, I do not know why the mainstream media including the local media out here in Las Vegas, is not all over the sheriff and the command structure of the LVMPD. They're completely mute. You know, he makes a comment, and then they write a story on what he says. Well, i got some news for these people, okay? There's a big difference between being a reporter and an investigative journalist. If you want to sit there and listen to everything somebody tells you, no matter who it is, and write a story and say, Doug Papa said this, that's the story, Without asking questions when red flags are going up all over the place, you're not an investigative reporter. Now, I'm going to say something. The last press conference they had out here was October 13th of last year. Excuse me, yeah, October 13th of last year. Okay? On November 2nd, Sheriff Joe Lombardo sat down for a one-on-one interview with KLAS television out here, uh, an investigative reporter named George Knapp. It was a joke. Okay? Now, on that interview, the sheriff said this. He said, yes, they breached the first door with explosives, meaning the, the paddocks, the double door to a suite. Then they went in, and they, and listen, this is what he said. Listen, nobody, nobody's asking about this, which just blows my mind. They had a breach, explosively breached the inner door, which was the bedroom, according to what the sheriff said right on that interview, and I put clips of this on my Twitter account, him saying this. He says, that was the bedroom that had the broken out window, that was facing the fuel tanks. In other words, that was a broken-out window that was facing McCarran International Airport. Now, according to the sheriff, that door was locked and secured, 
that the uh, the lone SWAT officer, Zebra 20, the name was Hancock, had to breach that door with explosives. Now, early on, they told us that Paddock, this is what they're saying, I'm not saying this is what they told us, he was firing out of both windows. He fired towards the airport, he fired towards the fuel tanks, and then he was going to the other window, firing back and forth. Well, I want to ask a very simple question, okay? And I'm not the biggest brain in the world. If that door was locked and secured, that the SWAT team had to go in and use explosives to breach it, then how was Paddock moving from that window to the window back and forth if that door was locked, unless he was walking through walls? Now, I'm going to bring up something else on this. In order to lock that door, that's the bedroom door to the suite facing the other side, you had to lock that from the inside. Otherwise, simply what they could have done from the other side was just trying to lock, but the deadbolts are on the bedroom side of that door. So if you lock that door and you're in that room, unless you're walking through a wall, you got to go out the single door to the hall and then come back into the suite using your key card. And that makes no sense why he would have started firing at the Karen Airport, the fuel tanks, if indeed that's what he did, because they tell him as he did, and we don't know that for sure. And then he said, listen, now that I stopped firing out this window, I'm going to lock this door and put myself in jeopardy if there's anybody out in the hall. Supposedly the security guy was out there, but he was unarmed. And then he goes out that door and he goes back into the main doors of the suite. It makes absolutely no sense. Now, why the local media, forget about the mainstream media, they gave up on this, except for Tucker Carlson once or twice a week he brings something up. Why the mainstream media is not posted outside Martin Luther King Boulevard out here every day saying, Sheriff, can you explain to us if that door was locked to the bedroom that had the window broken out facing the Karen Airport, how was it that you told us he was going from one window to the next when he first started shooting? How's that possible? It's not possible. That's a interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll have to look again at the blueprint of the, the hotel. Um, but, yeah, and, and that's one of the things that many people said accounted for the different sounds of the gunshots from the videos we saw was because the, they said he was firing from those different positions, which made the, the sounds so different because some of the videos you hear shooting like it's three feet away and then in other videos... Or on same videos, you hear next round of shooting sound like it's a mile away. And that's what they said accounted for those differences in sound was hopping from the room to room. Yeah. Also, the, um, I believe that the, he, he used a 308 caliber rifle for shooting at the fuel tanks, which, you know, he was, I think, per, perhaps trying to breach the fuel tanks as part of a diversion. Um, he might have tried to get the Tannerite to be, that he had in his car. Stacked his plan might have been it makes sense to me put the tannerite against the fuel tank you know a pile of it disguise it shoot it that breaches the fuel tank I don't know if that would have worked or not probably he couldn't get close enough to the fuel tank but it look, does look like he brought a weapon you know with more power than a two two three um, you know a three oh eight caliber AR fifteen type rifle you know civilian SR twenty five uh, basically. But, but we haven't seen much other than the leaked photos at the beginning. And going back to the, the cover-up um, being part of preventing embarrassment, you know, the fact that it wasn't the SWAT team that went in, the fact that some of the earlier responders moved the body, moved the weapon, you know, kind of contaminated the crime scene. Uh, Doug has talked about this before, but, you know, it's very embarrassing how unprofessional, you know, they were after the original four guys went in. The, the next police in really bongled it, and um, you know Doug knows more about that than anybody. Doug, go ahead. Yeah, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to comment on that. 
Um, like I said, they, those officers that went into the Mandalay Bay, they were patrol officers. They ran in there, formed teams, they went into the stairwell, they were all over the place. So they were chrome cops. But the Sheriff Lombardo said this, and I put these clips on my Twitter account the other day so people could see that when I write these stories, I'm not just saying this is what he said. You can actually listen to him saying this, okay? He said, and so did Under Sheriff McMahill, Under Sheriff Kevin McMahill said on the October 3rd, 6 p.m. press briefing, because I'm taking this out of my head right now, he said, um, the SWAT team had to show up before they can do anything. Well, obviously, if there's no SWAT team there, they can't do nothing. He, and he had a smile on his face when he said that, okay? And then the reporters just sat there like a bunch of idiots, and they didn't they didn't say nothing. Because if I was sitting there, I said, wait a minute. Um, you know, well, they really wouldn't have known that until a couple days later on the 8th when they were on 60 Minutes, and we found out that the entry team that was going to be on 60 Minutes was not the SWAT team. It was one lone SWAT officer who was not on 60 Minutes. They showed, they showed a photograph of him and identified him, I think, as, as Levi Hancock. And then it was two, two pro patrol officers, canine guys, and then a patrol officer in uniform. Those were the guys that were in the stairwell that he had to use. And why this is not a national story every day, even, even a local story out here, is why after an hour and five minutes after the last shots were fired, and I'll, I've addressed Sheriff Joe Lombardo and Kevin Mayhill in my stories, and I'll ask them again right here on the program, where was the SWAT team that after an hour and five Five minutes in that stairwell, the only person who showed up from SWAT was Levi Hancock. He had to take three guys from patrol, the two canine guys and, and, and Matthew Donaldson, the other patrol guy in uniform, that were in that stairwell that he's never worked with and never trained with before to go into that room because his SWAT guys were not there to back, back him up. Now, you got to look at it this way. Forget about what we know now. Because everybody talks to me and they send these emails like, well, we know Paddock was in the room. Forget about what we know after the fact. They did not know, unless they did, and we don't know something, if that's a possibility, they had no idea that inside that room was going to be one guy, two guys, or 20 guys. One of the officers that was on 60 Minutes, he thought one of the guys hiding behind the curtains in different rooms. They don't know how many people were in there. Before he breaches the door, Levi Hancock makes a statement, okay? And maybe it was just the way he was talking, but he said, you know, and we all heard it. It was all over the world, you know, within hours after it came out on the news. And he says, we have to pop this door because we have to see if he is still in there or he went somewhere else. And I keep talking this about this on my stories, okay? Maybe he just said he as, as a slip of the tongue, and that's what he was saying. Because my, my point on that was, and I said was, well, if he said he, how did he know that there was only one guy in the room? And when he went in, they say, you know, he was dead on the floor when they saw him. Or he just used that word. But he also said something very, very important, okay? That a lot of people have brought it up in the media. He said he could have went somewhere else. He, they, whatever, who's in that room. So they weren't sure while they were in that stairwell for an hour and five minutes after their shots were fired, exactly if anybody's in that stairwell. And Kevin McMahill, the undersheriff, said on October 3rd press conference at 6 o'clock, um, he said that once the firing stopped, it became a barricaded uh, suspect incident. And that I put in my story, that's a bunch of nonsense. It wasn't a barricaded suspect. But on November 2nd, his boss, the number one guy, Sheriff Joe Lombardo, told that reporter from KLSTV it was not a barricaded incident because they had to get into the room as soon as they could because they they did not want to load any more magazines and continue firing and opening fire again. That itself was a lie, and I brought that out. 
because they didn't go into the room immediately. If Sheriff Lombardo thought it was a threat to public safety and it came out right of his mouth, they had to get into that room. He said the officers in the hallway made the decision to go in immediately because they did not want him reloading magazines or opening firing again. That was an all-out, another Joe Lombardo lie because they didn't go in immediately. They didn't go in for an hour and five minutes. So where was the concern for the public safety? Why the national and local media are not out here asking the question is, where the heck was the SWAT team that night? Now, they they showed up later on, starting on 11.30 past. You hear them on the radio showing up. Now, I've been hearing some, some rumors from, from cops that it's very possible they may have been on another operation that night, and that's why they couldn't break off. They started filtering in later on. But we don't know that because Metro is not commenting on that. So this is a very important thing, and I don't know why the media is not jumping all over them on this. Matt? Yeah, it, it, again, it goes to um, uh, incompetence being in it, being the reason for uh, cover-up, um, maybe not some grand conspiracy that they know about, but just that the more light that shines upon them, the more their incompetence will be shown. And something that Doug uh, and I talked about at length earlier is the this revolving door between uh, senior officials of Las Vegas Metro Police Department uh, and the and the casino industry. So it's it's sort of like generals retiring and going to work for Lockheed. You know they 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 get their bonus when they work for Lockheed based on the good work they did as a general steering contracts to Lockheed and these. Las Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Metro Police Brass, they're all looking at, you know, tripling their salary when they retire. So they're very beholden to the casino industry. They don't want to personally look bad and incompetent, and they also don't want to frighten the tourists. So the best thing to do is sort of put a wet blanket over the whole investigation and hope that it just goes away. Because, you know, and I've written about this not that it's gotten any attention, but you know, it's it's really just pathetically uh, incompetent that the guy was able, the shooter, presumably Paddock, was able to fire for ten minutes unimpeded, you know, with with nothing coming his way. Uh, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for a SWAT sniper to put bullets into a eight foot high window wall. You know, it's a window curtain. These are like four foot by eight foot panels. We're not talking about shooting gophers at a thousand yards. We're talking about just put rounds into a four foot by eight foot panel, open window. It's safe because the ceiling above is concrete. The walls are concrete. There's not going to be anybody hurt except for people in that window. Now you could say, well, you don't know exactly who's in there. Well, if you know fire is coming out of it, that's enough reason to suppress fire. Even if there were hostages in there, there are more people being shot down in the parking lot. So it, in the balance, it weighs out that the moral and and uh, responsible thing to do is have your SWAT snipers that you've been paying for years and years. They go to these SWAT rodeos and SWAT competitions. They're the big studs of the police force. You know, they make extra pay. They've got extra gear. Where the heck were they? Why was a sniper able to fire on a massive concert for 10 minutes without a single SWAT sniper putting a rifle towards that window? Where were they? I mean, it's just pathetic. And and maybe they don't want to 
make people worried about things like football games or other venues because I look at stadiums around the league and there are many of them where a shooter can just shoot into a stadium and maybe they don't want to draw undue attention to this but it's a major security gap anybody shooting into a stadium can cause a, a panic stampede or in fact I, I forgot to put a book onto a free status for, for right now but starting at midnight, so anybody watching this on delay, uh, all of tonight till tomorrow, Enemies Foreign and Domestic is going to be free, and also my collection of short stories. But the Enemies Foreign and Domestic actually starts, you know, with a sniper firing into a stadium. The reason this is worth going into is because, unlike a, a truck terrorist or a, or a suicide bomber, a sniper has a good chance of getting away with it. So you're not just relying on some, some suicidal dummy, but you could actually have a false flag operation very easily, which would only involve, you know, firing into a big stadium type venue or an outdoor concert. There are more football games, of course. Um, season's about over, but, but you could just leave false clues at the scene of the sniper, the sniper's lair, and the entire country would go nuts blaming whoever you know, was the subject of the hate literature conveniently left at the sniper's position. So th this is, to me, a, a huge gap. You don't need a suicidal shooter. You just need a shooter that can hit a stadium, not hard. You, you leave some false clues. You blame your ideological enemies. They take the hit for it. So I, I'm, I'm still concerned about something like this happening, and I'm thinking that maybe from the perspective of uh, FBI and Las Vegas Metro, they just want people to kind of forget about, you know, what a wide-open security gap this is. I, I Doug, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with uh, to totally with with Matt's end. Maybe a lot, a lot of viewers don't know. Matt's a former Navy SEAL. I've had special operators, um, Navy SEALs, and Green Berets working for me during my 20 years in the industry. I hired them in security as supervisors and stuff because they because of their knowledge. But I want to hit on what Matt said. I wrote a story um, about a month or two ago, and it was titled Incompetence Led to the Las Vegas Massacre. And I, I hit on that, that why didn't the command structure of the Las Vegas Metron Police Department, when they were putting these plans together for this outside concert venue that was on the corner, basically, of almost the Tropicana and the Boulevard, it was an open venue, why didn't anybody think that, because it's surrounded by high-rise towers, the Tropicana behind it, across the street, the Excalibur, the Luxor, the, Mand the Mandalay Bay, uh, you know, about a quarter mile away, why did anybody think that um, maybe we could be, you know, uh, vulnerable to an attack from an elevated position from a sniper? Because it has happened in this country before. But they didn't do that, okay? And the other part of it was I said, why didn't this, the casinos have measures in place? Because for 15 years, Homeland Security has been telling the casino industry, because I was a part of it, um, you know, you can be vulnerable to a terrorist attack or a Mumbai-type attack or an active shooter, and they should have either screening luggage or explosive detection canines walking by, who most likely would have hit on all that 23 guns and ammunition going in. But I want to get back to the sniper thing, okay? Um, on New Year's Eve years, and I know that sometimes some of those snipers were on the Riviera when I was director over there, so they've had snipers deployed for years during the New Year's Eve celebrations, okay? But somehow nobody didn't think that on that night, because of that concert, looking up in the air and seeing all these high-rises that maybe something could happen. So we should have some snipers standing by and maybe have some strike teams already in the hotels around you. But they didn't do that. Now, here's an important thing, okay? At some point that night, 
snipers showed up. And how do we know that? And I put this in one of my stories I, oral, I, I wrote on early about, and the national media still didn't pick up on it. They don't pick up on nothing. Um, because on 60 Minutes, one of the canine officers said, I don't know if it was the Sergeant Fitzko or Dave Newton, the canine officer, who said, when we went into the room, or maybe it was Donaldson, I don't know, he said, I wanted us, I believe, okay, I'm looking at in my head now, it was Sergeant Fitzko that said that from canine. He said, I wanted to stay away from the windows, and the reporter from 60 Minutes that was interviewing him said, why? And he says, because I I knew at that time SWAT had their snipers deployed, and he didn't want to go near the window thinking he was going to get shot. Now, there's some rumors floating around out here, and I haven't, I've seen a video, but I don't know who made the video where it was. There's a video floating around the Internet that shows what appears to be a SWAT sniper putting some type of device on his rifle, holding it up. It could be a silencer or whatever. And then there's a chopper behind him. Now, according to this video, this was somewhere across the street from Mandalay Bay after the shots were fired. Okay? I don't know the validity of that um, video, but we know one thing. That can Sergeant Bisco said on 60 Minutes that when they went into that room, now that's an hour and five minutes after the last shots were fired, He's saying SWAT snipers were deployed. Now, I'm going to break there for a second. Right after the October 1st massacre, CNN interviewed retired. I hope I get this guy's name right because I, I know him. Uh, John Sheehan. He's a retired. He retired from that show. He was on the SWAT team. Okay, and they're interviewing him. They actually put him up in a window at Mandalay Bay, not the same room, but the same view. And he's telling the reporter, "You see." This is the view from across the street. So it would be hard to have a sniper out here because there's no place for a sniper to be elevated or anything like that. Now, so if these snipers were deployed an hour and five minutes after the last shots were fired because Sergeant Fitzgo said they were when he went into the room because he wanted to stay away from the window, think if they move the curtain, they may fire, where were those snipers deployed? Okay, I believe it's very possible they were deployed from a helicopter. And then that brings up Matt's point is, well, if they deployed them after the shooting because they knew now where the shots maybe were coming from, why didn't anybody think about having those guys standing by during the whole concert? And just like Matt said, maybe you couldn't have got there in the first three or four minutes. Maybe you only got there after the five minutes. But every second that was going by, every minute of that ten-minute period, lives and bodies were at risk and stacking up. Sheriff Joe Lombardo even said on one of the interviews, he said, um, 10 minutes, you know, what does a minute make a difference here and there? Well, you know, when bodies are stacking up, every stinking second counts. So it was his poor planning, but there definitely was snipers deployed. Where they were deployed from, I believe they would probably deploy from a helicopter, or maybe they were laying on a tank somewhere on the ground. I don't know. Matt knows more about where snipers can take a shot up to the 32nd floor. But we do know one thing. Snipers were deployed when that entry team went in one hour and five minutes after the last shot was fired. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, and we're talking about, you know, in the background, practically in the background of the of the sniper are is, a, is an airport, including uh, the Spook Air Force that flies out to Area 51, and they're, uh, they've got their own little terminal they've got their own uh their own air fleet just to fly their personnel to area 51 so this is like spook central at this end of mccarran you know th- to think that they couldn't have helicopters and swat guys in las vegas i mean what a blow to their image that 
they portray themselves, F, the uh, FBI, Las Vegas police, um, the, the casino security. You watch any of these movies, these guys are super high tech. They've got cameras showing every nano, you know, every uh, atom of Las Vegas. They can go back in time and zoom in on a license plate. It's all bogus. It's all crap. They didn't have cameras on the floors except for at the elevator banks. The shooter in the room could have left the room, gone to an elevator, or gone to a stairwell, gone up or down a floor or two, crossed the entire hotel, get back into another hall, and then take another elevator, and they would have never found him. So there was room, there was time for other shooters to actually leave, which if you're writing this as a movie script, you know, you have uh, two shooters, both of whom think they're going to get away, and at the last moment, shooter one shoots Paddock and leaves him there as the patsy, and then gets away. So there's certainly, you know, room for conjecture when you've got this much time uh, unaccounted for. And, you know, overall, I, I just the, pers- the, the, the vision of what law enforcement can do in this country, I've seen it over and over again. It's PR. It's image. It's not reality. And when the reality is shown, people see it sort of like the emperor's new clothes. The emperor's naked. They couldn't protect us. They had no plan. All those SWAT guys, all that training, but they weren't there when it counted. And the difference, as we as we were just saying, 10 minutes of shooting, well, in the first five minutes of the shooting, the stampede doesn't even really get going because people are still confused. Every minute, it's, the, the, the mayhem and the death is going up exponentially, minute by minute. If the thing had been stopped after five minutes, just by putting rounds into the windows, whether it's from a helicopter or from the ground even. You know, even from the ground, you're going to be able to keep a guy from just standing in the, at the open window and firing down. Remember, he's exposed all the way up because he's, he's got a window, a broken out window wall in front of him. The fact that they couldn't put rounds in there in 10 minutes and then they didn't get into the room for an hour, it's just disgraceful. And so to me, the most likely reason for the cover up is just to cover up their own incompetence. I mean, how they, they bungled this every which way, including moving the body, taking pictures, sending the pictures to people's girlfriends that then get out on the, uh, on the Internet. I mean, it was just Keystone Cops, really amateur. And where the, why this matters outside of embarrassment is that there are going to be probably billions of dollars worth of payouts. And if it's shown that the casinos and or the Las Vegas police were derelict in their duties, that they did not meet uh, expected standards. You know, if they have if they have uh, uh, official brush, uh, official protocols in in uh, Las Vegas for how long it should take to respond to X, Y, and Z, and they didn't meet it, then they're going to be exposed. You know, financially. Not to mention the hotels, the, the MGM, and remember the police. They like to get that post police career job working for the casino. So it's very, you know, everybody's working hand in glove to sort of just make the story go away. That's sort of how I see it. Matt, uh, I want to ask you this. We got a question from somebody in the chat of where to get the the free publication or the publication that you were going to make free uh, on your website. I'm sorry, Amazon. Just Amazon.com, Bracken and Enemies Foreign and Domestic. But it won't go live until midnight California time. That's Amazon time. 
Okay. And then it'll go from midnight California, 24 hours. Okay. And uh, Doug and Matt, we only have about uh, six minutes left in in this uh, before the break, and I want to kind of do this. We're, we're looking at this this whole Las Vegas case, and we're also talking about the corruption in law enforcement, both here from I would say local all the way up to the FBI. And if we can expand this to what we're seeing in the the, the top levels of the FBI and the DOJ, from uh, the the Comey Mueller uh, in, in Trump investigation. Uh, to the text that Peter Strauch and Lisa Page that have been made public showing, uh, you know, how really anti-Trump the top people in the FBI are to the DOJ and their handling of all the Clinton scandals that we don't see really any traction on, except for maybe this last week. We've seen a few, uh, movements in the right direction with investigations. But let's, uh, Doug, let's go to you. This corruption in law enforcement, this seems to be plaguing our country at the top levels of law enforcement, both federal, not only local, but also federal. Excuse me. It's a disgrace what's been going on in the Department of Justice and the FBI. And i got to say this, even when I talk about police corruption, people have to understand, yes, there's corruption at the line level on both federal agencies and uh, local law enforcement. But when you have um, mismanagement and corruption at the upper echelon, the command structure, specifically in the DOJ and the FBI, because what's going on right now uh, with the FBI and the DOJ and the the people up at the top, it's, it's an absolute disgrace because the DOJ and the FBI should not be politicized and never should be. Because if if that if those two agencies, specifically the bureau, um, you lose your trust in them, and people have lost it because of what's been going on, then you know that is the premier, that is the agency that investigates, you know, national crime, terrorism, police corruption. So if if you can't trust the upper echelons of the DOJ and the FBI, then who can you trust? I want to hit on something real fast here, so Matt gets a chance to say something. Is this? You look at it, I look at it like this. During the, the 9-11 investigation that came out, it came out that FBI agents who, would, who were doing their job had information that some of those 9-11 hijackers, the ones that were flying the plane, were taking flying lessons at different flying schools, and they didn't want to know how to land or take off. They wanted to know just how to steer the airplane. And when that information by these agents was brought to their supervisors, they were basically told it doesn't mean nothing to knock it off. And, and to me, had somebody at the top said, wait, maybe there is something to this, and they would have kept investigating, it's very possible that 9-11 could have been prevented. But that's what I'm talking about when Matt says also, incompetence at the upper levels. That is a prime example of federal incompetence, and I don't believe to this day that any of those supervisors in the FBI lost their job or reprimanded, and that came out at the 9-11 Commission, so that's what I have to say on that. Yeah, it's also political correctness. You know, that, that somebody who's been called the 20th hijacker that went to uh, Minneapolis to the world's greatest 747 flight simulator, uh, or he he um, was trying to pay with like a suitcase full of cash. They called the FBI. They had the guy's laptop. He, they held him on like a visa overstay, some kind of a visa beef. And the FBI's in-house counsel said, we do not have probable cause to look in this guy's laptop. The whole plan was in the laptop. They didn't crack his laptop till after 9-11. So you've got a guy who's picked up on a visa overstay, but clearly he's got something of a terroristic you know, nature going on. They're so timid, so afraid of being called Islamophobic, 
And where this also comes into, into current play is Mueller, who's held up as some kind of a paragon. When Mueller was FBI director, he completely rolled over for, for the Council of American Islamic Relations and other front groups. You know, that, that was called a Hamas front group, uh, you know, in that, uh, the Holy Land uh, Foundation investigation. They rolled over. They got rid of all the realistic FBI counter jihad training and made it completely PC. They actually brought in, you know, uh, Muslim, uh, agents essentially, Muslim Brotherhood front group agents to re, to restructure FBI training to base, and to, to the point where FBI agents were not even allowed to use words like jihad. This directly led to American deaths because the Boston bombing, the Sarnayev brothers, it was hands off that mosque. We can't go into that mosque. We can't ask any questions. The, the Russian Secret Service was all over the Sarnayev brothers. We wouldn't listen. San Bernardino, the same thing. The, the female comes in, they met at Mecca. She's a Pakistani jihad, uh, babe who went to like Jihad U in Pakistan. She, they meet at the chat board, they meet in Mecca, get married. She brings this, he brings her back to San Bernardino. Red flags all over the place. But the FBI under Mueller was so hamstrung by, you know, non-Islamophobic political correct, uh, cr- political correctness that they allowed it to happen essentially. It should have never happened. And you can go right down the list. Same thing with Orlando. Red flags all over or over that guy Omar Mateen. And, and nothing was done because they're so afraid and so timid. You know, the FBI, I mean, there's another use of their initials. They're often called famous but incompetent. You know, most of their time goes into uh, publicity and, and, uh, and really nobody wants to be held responsible for these terrorist attacks. So they allow the attack to happen by political correctness. And then afterwards they act like, oh geez, nobody could have ever prevented that. The hell, yes, you could have, if you had some integrity and some guts, and you weren't so timid and cowed by the, you know, these front groups like like Care. I mean, it, exactly. and this is ongoing today, even yeah. under Trump, it's ongoing. And, and the, the, that's just maddening. In fact, uh, the next after the top of the hour, when we when we come back, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the penetration uh, of the deep state. And in one of the the biggest. As far as I'm concerned, one of the biggest, most uh, egregious, unreported stories is the Muslim brother. Well, is the uh, Islamic infiltration, the Pakistani infiltration, the Awan criminal cabal, the biggest spy ring in Congress today, and uh, uh, compliments of the eighty. Well, compliments of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. But the policies, well, you know, you can't, you really can't talk about this because, well, my goodness. And of course, what Mueller had done, um, uh, as you, as you pointed out too, with respect to, uh, ex- expunging the Islamic terrorism from the training manuals, you're listening to Matt Bracken and Doug Papa. Doug Papa, top cop, uh, who knows corruption, who's witnessed it and, uh, experienced it, as a matter of fact. And Matt Bracken, enemies foreign and domestic. What a great offer, by the way. Generous offer by Matt Bracken. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Gonna be right back. They're gonna be with us for the next segment. Stay right where you're at.
to our third and final hour on this Monday, January 8th, 2018. We have with us Doug Papa and Matt Bracken. They've been with us through the last hour, and we've covered a number of issues, uh, specifically Las Vegas and the law enforcement response and what we've seen, the, the developments that we've seen from Las Vegas, and definitely want to move towards what we see going on in Washington, D.C. It seems like the law enforcement community, the federal law enforcement community, in D.C. is in somewhat of a crisis as much as the media and they won't admit it. We see all this, uh, you know, corruption coming out from Comey and Mueller and the Clintons, the FBI, the DOJ, Loretta Lynch and more. And it's just uh, for the last year and a half, two years, it's just been non-stop. And what we've seen, one of the, the I guess, uh, when we look back in 10 years, 20 years uh, to these past few years of history, one thing I know I'll remember, unless something changes in the near future, is how corrupt the top levels and, and how politicized the top levels of the FBI and DOJ are to where we have so many scandals. And just to give a quick example, uh, a sailor who took a picture of a submarine and, and uh, found the, showed the picture to a few family and friends got locked up in jail for, for, what, almost two years for sharing classified information. Yet here Hillary Clinton is. Uh, we know she had a server in her basement sharing with uh, her aides and lawyers classified information. It's fully investigated by the FBI, and we find out Comey exonerates her, and the FBI exonerates her before even reviewing the evidence or interviewing her. And now we see this investigation into Trump with, you know, it's all made up, and it was uh, planned this way in order to try to, I guess, what they called an insurance policy against the Trump administration. Um, Doug, let's start with you. Does the FBI, are they, are, is there any credibility left in the top levels of the FBI? Oh, like I said before, I think it's a disgrace and it's, it's got to be an extreme, extremely morale problem for the, for the line level, the FBI just out there that are doing investigations, doing cases because, you know, it's the same thing with, with police, you know, corruption and mismanagement at the top and specifically, you know, I talk about the LVMD all the time is, is how can line level officers have any respect for the command structure of the LVMPD when they see over the years sheriffs, command people getting away with domestic violence, drunk driving, you know, beating up their wives, stuff that they get arrested and lose their job and get suspended for, and the people at the top get a free break because it's a good old boy system. Same thing with the FBI. I mean, it's got to be ripping the agents up. I know a lot of retired FBI agents, you know, they're all great guys. I work with the FBI. But there's a difference, you know, the line level officers out there doing the investigations and pounding the beat, and then you got the people at the top. I thought it was such a disgrace when I heard Comey, um, and I always liked Comey, and I already had a good reputation. I, we heard him talk for what, 20 minutes, building up that I thought his last two minutes was going to be, I'm going to, you know, she's going to get, I'm going to recommend prosecution. He built us up into this big thing, laid all this stuff out, and then he says at the end, uh, there was no, there was no reason that we to prosecute. It was, it was a snow job to the American people. It was a disgrace. You know, Bill Clinton meeting with the Attorney General just happens to meet on a tarmac at a time when his wife Hillary Clinton's under federal investigation. And you know, another thing that the FBI did, and I heard, uh, I said, this is what I heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I heard that they didn't even examine the hard drives and the stuff on the computers that were in her house. They let that contracting company that she had that was managing that for her, that server, I heard that the FBI didn't, they took whatever that contracting company said as gospel, and, and that's what came out in the press. And that's, and that, when have you heard that before, anywhere in FBI history, 
where they don't examine anything themselves, whether it be a hard drive or an interview, where they rely on the contracting company by the target of the investigation to give them the results of what they did. It was an absolute disgrace. I say this real quick because I know Matt wants to say a lot of stuff. Okay, I look at it this way. I can't stand corruption, uh, whether it's the federal side, and I don't care if it's a president, FBI director, what. If I was Trump's people, I would do this. Leave Mueller alone, okay? Let him do what he wants to do. And if he comes out with a bunch of it, because you can, you know, you can indict a ham sandwich, okay? If he comes out with a bunch of indictments, then nobody pleads or nothing. You go and you fight in court, because now he's going to have to present in front of a jury all the evidence that he says he has against his people. So if it was me, I would even forget about it. Let him just say, I'm not going to plead to anything that I was not guilty of. So let him do what he's got to do. He's got to present that evidence in court if you do not plead. And if you're innocent, you don't plead and you fight it. So, you know, it's, but it's, it's an absolute disgrace what's going on with the FBI and the DOJ because people, and I am, I'm losing faith in the FBI and the Department of Justice. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to do in this country. But this is what we see in here. Go ahead. Matt? Yeah, this, I think the, the, um, there's a cliche that it's always darkest before the dawn. And I liken right now to um, 1943 with the Germans at Stalingrad. It's the moment when it looks like the, the Nazis are at their high water mark, but really they're very weak and they're about to get thrown back. And I think very slowly and methodically for the last year, there's been a, a, a counterattack against this deep state coup that's been winding up. I remember, because I've been, we've all been mystified by Sessions, you know, his, his apparent weakness. But I remember him saying that he's really against the special counsel rules or laws, and he wants to reestablish uh, statutory justice using the system, not just going outside the special counsels. And I think using the inspector general and some other uh, counterintelligence operations, counter the counter-leaking operations, they've actually gone quite a ways. You notice Schiff is not <laughs> nearly as vocal anymore. That email, uh, the, the thing where I guess it was ABC and Brian Ross, they got into a lot of trouble over the, uh, whether it was the 4th or the 14th, on when the Trump campaign knew about the WikiLeaks uh, emails coming out. That seems to have been a, a leak investigation, like a salted uh, disclosure. You know, to put it in, put it out for shift to then leak to his media sources to see where it shows up. So there's, there's actually a lot of promising work hap, or a lot of promising things going on. And it's mostly coming, I believe, from what they call the white hats in this whole affair. The white hats would be Mike Rogers at NSA. Uh, he apparently went to Trump and said, look, they're out to get you. You know, they're wiretapping Trump Tower. The day after Mike Rogers went to New York and talked to Trump without telling the director of national intelligence, Clapper, the day after Trump moved out of the Trump Tower and they moved to a, their golf place in New Jersey because they thought the place was bugged, and they were. So there are good people at the top, would be Mike Rogers, but think about all of the other FBI special agents that are disgusted by this corruption, what they call the small group. This is, you know, from Sally Yates at Department of Justice, uh, McCabe at FBI and their people that are in their little clique, they've been working together. They've been, they've been using a, a little known, uh, it's not even really a legal clause, but the, the 
direct, the Department of Justice Directorate or National Security Division basically decided that they would not co-op, would not disclose to Congress what's going on with their counterintelligence operation against Trump. So for months, they were spying on Trump, but not as they're required to, talking to or telling the congressional oversight. There's a group called the Gang of Eight, which is the Senate majority and minority leader, the House majority and minority leader, and two members each from the House and Senate Intelligence Oversight Committees, one Republican, one Democrat from the House and the Senate. They're supposed to be told about any counterintelligence operations, and they were not. So these guys that went at Department of Justice, this would be Sally Yates and her chain of command, they're going to be in big legal jeopardy. People are going to start pointing fingers at each other because people are going to wind up going to jail over this. And I think that the way it's going to play out, first they're going to interview Steele and get his take. Christopher Steele, who wrote the dossier along with some of these deep state players, Nellie Orr, et cetera, they're going to say, we were told to do this by our superiors. Our superiors work at the FBI and the Department of Justice. By definition, what they tell us to do must be legal. There are bosses within the legal system. They define what's legal. If I'm told, if I'm Christopher Steele, a civilian, I'm told I'm working with the FBI, why should I question it? So everybody's going to point their fingers up the chain of command and say, I was following orders. Strzok is going to say, I was following orders. It's going to go to McCabe. McCabe's not going to go to jail like G. Gordon Liddy with his mouth shut. McCabe is going to say, I was told by Comey. Comey's going to say, I was told by Loretta Lynch. It's going to go to that level. And it's going to be interesting to watch because like Stalingrad, just when you think the bad guys are about to win, actually they've reached their high tide and that wave is about to roll back. I'd have to strongly recommend folks read the guy at Conservative Treehouse who goes by the moniker Sundance. He's been just putting out amazing stuff. He's got great sources and he's very methodical in laying all of this out. And I think that we're going to see a clean house. What's really interesting is watching the media. They're like the Baghdad Bobs. They're like the German media in 1943 saying, the wonder weapons are coming. We're still going to win which has been helping all they could with this deep state coup, like switching to this Papadopoulos narrative for why the counterintelligence investigation of Trump began. They switch on a dime, like Soviet apparatchiks, getting the new party line and reading it immediately. It won't work. There's going to be too much coming out. And these players from the lower level ones like the Nellie Orrs and the Strzoks, all the way up to Loretta Lynch and Comey, they're going to be in serious legal jeopardy. And then it's not going to even stop there because it's going to get back into the Hillary server issue, which is going to be commingled and intertwined because it's all part of the same, really the same scandal with the 
Clinton Foundation scandal. The reason for the private bootleg illegal server was to keep their commingling of State Department and Clinton Foundation business concealed. That's why they took it off of the State Department's secure servers, because they're doing pay-to-play. This is going to then wind right back through Uranium One. $145 million? Are you serious? When you're dealing with people that are going to spend $145 million to get Uranium, I mean, we're talking Russians, and they're not just private companies in Russia. You know, the Rus Atom is, you know, like Russia Atom. This is Putin. This isn't like, you know, Microsoft. Rus Atom is a Russian atomic company. That's Putin. They're spending $145 million bribing the Clintons, some cash straight to Bill Clinton. What do you think the odds are that other people have gotten huge envelopes full of cash? So it's really going to be interesting untangling this, including Fusion GPS, which the court just said you have to turn over your bank records. Well, when they show that they're paying reporters for coverage, you know, for inserting their false narrative into the mainstream media storyline, we're going to see how many corrupt, dirty reporters there are. This is going to be even worse than the, like, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose sex scandals, because this is the actual integrity of the mainstream media. And the only way they've really bungled it and have an actual bank record going to a reporter, will that be provable? But look for the cash expenditures, you know, like the petty cash box. Fusion GPS, I'll bet they spent a lot of money in cash expenditures, which they will be able to see basically what they put out in cash. And what that means is the Fusion GPS operative meets the reporter for lunch and passes the envelope of money across the table in the menu. That's how that works. And once these reporters start taking money, it's just like in intelligence in general, CIA, KGB, once you get a source to take money from you, well, you film it. He doesn't know it at that luncheon. You just took pictures of him accepting the menu and looking at the envelope full of cash. You own that reporter for life now. You can make him do anything from that point on. And we've seen consistently throughout this whole thing how corrupt many of these reporters already are. So it's going to be fascinating watching this whole thing unwound. And at the end of it, Trump is still going to be standing. The media is going to be in disgrace. The Department of Justice, Maine Justice, and FBI headquarters, total disgrace. They're going to have to fire hose out the headquarters floors of those buildings because they're going to have to go out to the field offices and bring in people who have never served in Maine Justice or FBI headquarters. That's how bad it's gotten there. You know, if I can just interject one thing. You said a mouthful. By the way, my morning show, I referenced, I cited Sundance at the Conservative Treehouse, an unbelievable series of stories on this. I've got to tell you. Yeah, every day. Exactly. Now, and I've got no doubt, it was November 17th, 2016, that Mike Rogers went to Donald Trump and said, hey, hey, Hey Don, and you know you got a problem here with uh, wiretapping, and of course the next day, as you mentioned, uh, bam, right off to New Jersey. Um, 
relocating. But, you know, about the question of the corruption, I can't, I don't understand how anyone could question the fact. Remember, both you and, you and Doug, remember Clinton's leaving the White House saying, uh, we were dead broke. Yet, According to, uh, well, Clinton's confirmed income between 2001 to 2012, and, and understand this is, what, six years old now, at least $136.5 million confirmed. And if this wasn't a play-to-pay operation, then why? In 2016, did the Clinton Foundation's income drop by nearly 50% to $63 million? You know, obviously, there's a lot there. Doug, and toss it to you, sir. You know, this whole thing we talk about, the corruption, the mismanagement at the top, I mean, the American people really got, I mean, they really got to start focusing on this because you got it, you have to trust the the FBI. We have to have trust in the FBI and the Department of Justice. And when you have this corruption and this mismanagement and all the stuff that's going on right now, it's destroying the, the Department of Justice. It's destroying the FBI because I'm quickly losing faith in the FBI. And I hate to say that because I have a lot of friends who are retired FBI agents, you know, that I knew and I worked with years ago. And, um, you know, it, it's a disgrace. And, and another thing that should upset people in this country no matter if you're Democrat or Republican, and and I think there should be a law against it. When you're subpoenaed before Congress as a public official, and they sit there in front of Congress, in front of these oversight committees, I'm not talking about a civilian, I'm talking about people running government agencies, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I take the fifth, I plead mm-hmm. the fifth. Well, you know something? Mm-hmm. You You are being paid by the American people tax money. You're running a department or an agency of the government. You work for the people. You should not be allowed, when you go before Congress, when they give you a subpoena, to talk about something that's wrong with your agency, to sit there and say, I plead the fifth. Because to me, pleading the fifth means I'm going to get in trouble because I did something wrong, so that's how I'm going to get out of it. I plead the fifth. It's a total disgrace. And you got to remember something, too. Eric Holder was the first attorney general in American history to be held in contempt of Congress. And that just, you know, it just flew with the American people. It was like, you know, hey, attorney general goes in, doesn't ask questions, held in contempt, let's go on program. You know, and to this day, maybe Matt knows more on this than I do, but did I miss something? Did we ever really get any answers on Benghazi? I mean, I didn't see... Or Fast and Furious. That was it. That was it. Yes, absolutely. Fast and Furious, selling guns to, across the Mexican border, and then you have a, um, a, a U.S. Um, border patrol officer killed by one of those guns. I mean, what the heck is going on in this country? Whether it's a Democrat, Republican office, this has got to stop. This, is, yeah, there this was, has got to stop. There's no no accountability. And you know, I, I trace some of this back to Mueller, but it's really a culture of corruption. Mueller and Comey have played patty cake for more than 20 years. And what I mean by that is they take turns being in and out of the government. If you look at, at Rosenstein, Weissman, uh, McCabe, Mueller, Comey, and you, you put their the last 20 years where they've worked on a horizontal graph and you see, oh, gee, isn't that convenient? He just went to work for HSBC Bank. Doesn't know anything about banking, but, hey, it's a good way to hand the guy three or four million for a no-show job in between gigs as a U.S. attorney or, you know, an assistant director. It's a it's a very corrupt system, and they backstop each other, meaning you need a 
judge to sign a warrant, they've got the judge. They know who they know who these corrupt guys are, the players. And they you you look at these the names that I just named, you'll see that they've been working for for Holder's law firm or Lynch's law firm, the Clinton's law firms. They're totally corrupt. It's a rotten cesspool of corruption. And what Mueller specifically did to the FBI, among other things, we talked about the counter jihad training that he gutted. He made it so that you could not within the FBI be promoted to special agent in charge. That's like the colonel or general in charge of a field office. He's the head FBI man in an American city. He made it so that before you could be promoted to the SAC, you had to do an FBI Washington headquarters tour. This is where they get to sift out the loyal stooges. You know, who's going to kiss the ring? Who's going to be the team player that will always go along with FBI headquarters political agenda before you can get promoted to being a SAC? Before Mueller, you could spend your entire FBI career outside of Washington, rising on your own merits, you know, within the FBI, going from, you know, special agent to special agent to SAC, ASAC and SAC, not after Mueller. He politicized the FBI. And when you see how he's been working, you know, as playing patty cake, playing ball with guys like Mueller and Weissman and Rosenstein, Weissman, Rosenstein, and Mueller all have their hands on Uranium One. This is, to me, motive for taking out Trump. This is a very dangerous time for them. They thought Hillary gets elected, all their crimes go unreported, all their crimes, we're in position to continue to cover up. And then the amazing thing happens, the insurance policy doesn't work, Trump is elected, they swing the stop Trump from being elected dossier program into the let's cripple him and get him hounded out of office program. Because those three, Mueller, Weissman, Rosenstein, all approved Uranium One. And I'm telling you, if the Russians would pay $145 million to the Clinton Foundation, how much would they pay for these other signatories on the committee that had to approve it? Or guys like Weissman, who is in charge of the DOJ's fraud division, he had to sign off on Uranium One. Mueller should have been reporting to Congress about the corruption within the Russian side of Uranium One deal. He didn't. Did he get a little bit of offshore money? Does he have a Cayman account? Maybe we'll never know. But they're very corrupt, and they thought they could get away with it forever. But the, the worm has turned. Now, and, and I'm, I'm getting this through um, Judicial Watch and some other private places like that, Old Freedom of Information requests that they've had buried for years are now being responded to. This is a sea change within the FBI. This means that the deep state guys are being sort of pushed into the corner, into a closet with no telephone. You know, McCabe, Strzok, uh, Bruce Orr, these guys are all being demoted and defanged. Well, this lets the people with integrity know, hey, a new day is dawning. Things like the Mark Rich pardon information, which clearly shows, this is at the end of Bill Clinton, clearly shows the pay for play. This was buried within FBI. Now these are starting to come out to judicial watch. This is, a, this is sort of a, an indicator of where things are going. 
So from Hillary Clinton, Loretta Lynch, on down to these, to the, at the Strzok and Bruce Orr level, these guys have to be seriously worried about going to prison. They can't talk to each other because they don't know who's wearing a wire. They can't text each other, obviously. So they're all very, uh, right now they've got to be scared. So even while it's like the Battle of Stalingrad, it looks like, you know, Mueller's coming after Trump. Oh my goodness, Mueller's going to interview Trump. I don't think Trump's worried. I think Mueller's worried. Mueller's got to be looking for an escape strategy now because this whole Uranium One thing is going to land on his lap. And people are going to wonder why he didn't do his duty and tell Congress about the corruption behind Uranium One. Same thing with Rosenstein, who was U.S. attorney in Maryland. That was the jurisdiction that was uh, locally responsible. And Weissman, who was at the head of the DOJ fraud division. These guys knew the Uranium One thing was filthy, but they approved it, and they didn't warn Congress. And you have to wonder, what was their payola? Absolutely. We only got about one minute left, and it's been a, a fascinating interview. We could continue to go for another hour and a half. There's so much to talk about. But I want to thank you, Matt and Doug, both for, for spending the time out of your schedule to come on, not only with us, but come on together. I think that adds an extra dimension oh, yeah. uh, to the show, and we uh, hopefully we can do this again. No problem. Thanks. Hey, uh, uh, Doug, tell people where they can read your columns. Baltimore Post Examiner, and I know i got a couple of seconds left. I want to say this. Um, Brett Phillips, former founder, publisher, and editor of the Leesburg Today that helped me 25 years ago expose the corruption. He's fighting cancer. Everybody, please pray for him. He's 75 years old, I believe, and he needs everybody's prayers. Indeed, we will lift him up in prayer. Uh, my goodness. All right, you're also on Twitter, uh, Mr. Papa. Um, yes, it's where we can. I, I post stuff there every day that um, that, that interests me and new stuff coming on with the Metro, too. All right. Hey, Doug, thank you so very much. Matt Bracken, thank you as, as well. Generous offer after midnight tonight. Enemies foreign and domestic uh, uh, free, as well as some of your other writings. My goodness. Thank you both. Thank you both so Thanks, very much. Guys. All right. Thanks, Joe, Doug. Matt, take care. I'll talk to you guys again. All right. Thank you. We will be right back with Alicia Powell. She'll be joining us for the last segment. Don't go anywhere. I'll tell you what, Alicia Powell is a great uh, investigative researcher. My goodness, uh, follow her on Twitter at Alicia Powell. And uh, by the way, I, I'm going to say thank you to everyone who supports us via Patreon. Thank you so very much for your support. Thank you via PayPal. Thank you so much for your support. Mail, uh, as well. Thanks for your support. And, and if, if nothing else, I mean, if you pray for us, how great that is. Thank you so much for that support as well. Word of mouth. Tell others about this program. Please share the word on your social networking feed. And also tell others about the two additional programs that we have, uh, John and Joe together from 2 to 3 Eastern Time, uh, during the day, of course, on Global Star Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio. And then I've got a show from 9 to 10 
a.m. Eastern on the Global Star Radio Network and BTR. And by the way, don't, don't forget to click the follow button on BTR on both shows. If you choose to follow us, that does elevate our visibility, uh, uh through some mathematical equation. I don't know how that works. And also you can, I almost swallowed the microphone here. Uh, you can also follow us on our social networking feed at Hagman Report and of course individually and collectively. But thank you again. Just a heartfelt thank you for all of your support. 2018 is going to be a great year. We're really going to expose these, uh, these denizens of the swamp, the swamp creatures, these people out there. And with the help or, or with people such as Alicia Powell, um, stellar investigative reporter, the exposure is coming and, and, and justice will be served. I, I really believe that 2018 is going to mark the turning point. And we have to have faith. We have to have faith because, uh, God didn't intervene, I, I, you know, and, and put Donald Trump in office. But despite that, the movement behind what we're seeing, whether it's the QAnon phenomenon or whether it's Donald Trump himself, the movement we're seeing to take back our country, it's bigger than any one man. It's bigger than any one platform. And you know, the, the swamp creatures, the, the Jake Tappers of the world, and the Don Lemons of the world, and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world are on the run. They're on the defensive. And, and that's one of the uh, mantras of InfoWars. You know, the globalists are on the run. I truly believe in 2018 we're going to see that. So just give us, uh, Eric, give, a, give, give us a, okay, thumbs up. We have our guest, Alicia Powell. Follow her on Twitter, at Alicia underscore Powell. A tremendous investigative reporter, investigative journalist. Alicia, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me back. And, you know, while 2018 may be a year where, you know, we can bring conservatism back and truth, a, a, a year of awakening, there's still a really good fight that we're in the middle of. We're still talking about whether Trump won the election legitimately or not. And I think the the revelations coming forth with the Trump dossier are very important. Um, the House Intelligence Committee finally got the documents from the FBI and the DOJ that will uh, provide us all information, provide Congress and information on how that dossier was manufactured by the Clinton administration and all the collusion that is, uh, members of the FBI have, been, have, have partaken in to rail against our president. And um, it would be great if next year at this time we could have the Russia probe behind us, but the Democrat strategy is to keep the Russia probe ongoing, especially until the 2018 midterm elections, so that they can win and continue to delete, try to de- delegitimize our president. And it's just, hopefully it does keep going because we keep learning more and more about the corruption and the deep state um, as this unfolds. Alicia, the Gateway Pundit, I think Friday or Saturday, reported that the press corps knew for a full year that where the the dossier and the funding for the dossier originated from, that being Hillary Clinton, but said nothing. Uh, do you think that all the information will show that it did originate from the Hillary Clinton campaign? And, and moving forward from here, um, what does that mean? What does that mean for Hillary Clinton? What does that mean for Donald Trump? 
And do you think the media will continue using this as some sort of uh, evidence against the president? Well, they're certainly going to try, but I think, first of all, if Hillary Clinton, if she has any advisors, they ought to advise her to keep her mouth shut and stop trying to blame her election lost on anyone anymore because the Democrats don't want anything to do with Hillary Clinton anymore, and they're probably going to throw her under the bus. And now we've got uh, Uma Abedin's emails <laughs> that are going to be released or have been released. And there's classified information that was in those documents that she put in her husband, Anthony Weiner's laptop. So I think this could be a year with the, let the Russia probe continue to go forward and let's find out how many uh, more members of the FBI and on special counsel, counsel Mueller's investigative team are just corrupt. Uh, <laughs> the corrupt as could be. You, you know, you bring up some good points. On Mueller's team, you've got over half, at least nine, if not ten, uh, of the investigators, lawyers, supportive of the DNC and Hillary Clinton specifically. You've got the um, uh, the FBI uh, compromised every which way. You've got self-enrichment. The, the Clinton Foundation. The Steele dossier has been discredited, yet, uh, to hear it, you know, on the, on the mainstream media, of course, it's not. Um, you've got, uh, and you mentioned as well the Huma Abedin emails that were just turned over. By the way, on Anthony Weiner's laptop, 18, at least 18 of the highest uh, uh, level of classification of confidentiality found on, on the perverted Anthony Weiner's laptop. How does that make Americans feel, including one email that reportedly revealed sources and methods and outed or named a diplomat, a, a CIA uh, uh, cover agent or a, a CIA agent uh, operating as a diplomat? This is this is as bad as I've ever seen it, and this is as bad as you can get. In, well, in at, least, at least Donald Trump won the election, but we're all still waiting. Like, what's up with Jeff Sessions? When is there going to be these prosecutions? We all were chanting during the election, lock her up, lock her up, and Trump made a promise, and apparently he can't keep, he can't fulfill that promise because his own attorney general has recused himself in so many different issues. But here's another question. Not only is the Trump dossier manufactured by Democrats, Donna Brazil admitted on at least two occasions in the past month that when the FBI asked for the DNC to hand over its, so, its server, after the DNC claimed it was hacked by Russia, that the DNC destroyed the server. Well, they hired a private firm, CrowdStrike, to uh, make replicas of what was on the server. And instead of, they handed over a federal law enforcement agency case to a private firm and had their, their servers destroyed and then handed over replicas. So not only is the Trump dossier, like, that's manufactured, which is the premise of the Russia probe. The other premise of the Russia probe is this server that none of the intelligence agencies have ever seen because it's been destroyed, allegedly, most likely. I think Donna Brazil slipped door to book signing and explained that the server was destroyed. And now their intelligence agencies, uh, we, we saw reported, I think, about six months ago from the left-leaning site uh, Nation, The Nation, and there's a bunch of cybersecurity experts on there who claim that the there's no way that the server was in fact hacked, that the information from the way the data was breached was um, downloaded or um, hacked from within, leaked from within. 
So do, do, do we need think, to demand right. more information about this server and the dossier. What if there was no hack? Uh, yeah, I, I don't believe there was a hack. Now, I believe that the, ser- the uh, uh, unprotected com- communications on the private server was uh, open, susceptible to hack, and I know that the documentation shows a- at least five uh, potential attempts. I-, I believe it was five attempts. But that aside, what about Seth Rich, given the fact that, uh, I mean, we- we- we've got a-, a-, a dead young man, unsolved homicide, Seth Rich. How does Seth Rich fit into all of this? Because... I'm sure he does. From right. the, you know, it's, it's 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 the whole Russia. This is all this is all related to the Russia probe, the Seth Rich and the DNC server, the dossier, and if the, the 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 way that the left tries to silence us who have who think for ourselves, um, and we're mm-hmm. like, what about Seth Rich? Oh, it's just a conspiracy theory, and we'll, we'll never know if 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 the at least Congress. Doesn't investigate what happened to the server. How will we ever know how the, these, if their data was in fact breached, if it was leaked from within? Um, so many questions. What happened to Seth Rich? How will we ever find out? Why shouldn't we believe that he leaked information given what Julian Assange has said? And it's just an old story already, but it's really not because it's not solved. And it's easy to, we're, we're still talking about the Russia probe though. President Trump's still dealing with this, and we're still dealing with this as Trump supporters. So, no, if that's the case, then Seth, Seth Rich is fair game, and what happened to the DNC servers is fair game. And it's old news, but why was Twitter, why was WND, the company I, I work for, WorldNet Daily's Twitter site, uh, suspended after we reported that Donna, Donna Brazil was trying to obstruct the Seth Rich case? calling the MPD and the Seth Rich family, uh, asking why there was a, a private investigator on the case. Um, so there's many more answers that are left. There's exactly. many more questions that are left unanswered. And You're exactly right. You're, you're... While we're supposed to forget about it and just turn the page and let the liberal mainstream media tell the narrative, we haven't forgotten and we're still investigating. And... I I have faith and I have hope and it looks like a lot more truth is going to keep unfolding. I I totally agree, and it amazes me how many people, even some conservatives, say, "Well, Hillary lost, so leave her alone," forgetting that she she committed crimes, egregious crimes, in my view, if not on par with, perhaps even uh, more more overtly than uh, Rosenberg did back in the uh, uh, post World War II days, and, and she was executed for that. But that's to me, that's. Uh, the level of of criminality and treasonous activity, at least in my view, that we're dealing with. Go ahead, Joe. I know you. Had... No, I just uh, wanted to add. You know, we we see uh, it just seems like more and more layers are added on with all these investigations that are ongoing. But you mentioned the the Mueller probe and the Russia investigation and the media's ability to keep this alive. Obviously, in part to James Comey's actions, but also that the investigation has been ongoing with no signs of wrapping up anytime soon. But we did learn today that the Washington Post reported that Mueller may be interviewing Trump within weeks. Have you heard anything about that, Alicia? Because it seems to me that that doesn't sound like it would be true. I don't believe his lawyers would allow I that to happen. I haven't heard that. There's always unfolding information every day. I haven't heard that. But I do know that key witnesses, people who the FBI interviewed about the dossier, they're going to be 
testifying before Congress on January 17th. Thanks to Congressman Nunes, Devin Nunes of California, he demanded that the FBI and the DOJ hand over all of their documents and all of their interviews and all of their witnesses pertaining to the Steele dossier, which claimed Trump went in some bed in some Russian hotel and and, and um, urinated on prostitutes. That's what this dossier claims. Yeah, and, and Alicia, let's look at this, because we know when this... And he did it because it was the pre- the bed that Obama slept in. Yeah. So he has so much hatred against Obama. He went to this hotel and slept with prostitutes and urinated on the bed. This is the kind of stuff that Hillary Clinton manufactured. Well, we know, for. We know that the, the media, uh, from CNN to ABC, CBS, NBC, they refused to publish the dossier because they know they knew it was unsubstantiated and, and it... It can be verified as as true. Now the same media is trying to use this as some kind of evidence against Donald Trump. Um, don't I mean? How, how can they go from from saying you know we can't even uh, post this because it's unverifiable, but now they they have turned around like the American people have forgot that and are using this as some and pushing it as some kind of a proof of something. Well, I mean, I think that. The American people's trust in the media is at an all-time low. The access to more information on the web is unprecedented. Even though conservative sites are being censored on Twitter and Facebook and by Google ads, the information is still there. So first thing comes to mind is I think tomorrow or Wednesday, Trump's going to have the fake news awards. Uh, and, uh, I, I think, I think that was delayed. That. that was postponed. That was next week. Yeah. Monday. Oh. yeah that was- uh, I look forward to that. And, um, Ex- exactly. Um, boy, I got some nominations, but that's just me. Um, but, but, you know, it's going to come out. And I, I think this is, this is really important for people to understand. The, um, the steel information and Bruce Orr, his wife, Nellie Orr, on Fusion GPS's payroll, uh, working with Christopher Steele, in fact, perhaps even writing part, if not most of the dossier. I believe that that's going to be, it's going to be proven where that was used by Bill Priestep, uh, right under, um, uh, Comey, the, 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 um, uh, or I'm sorry, right under, uh, yeah, right under Comey and above, uh, Oh, the other guy. I get all. The, I mean, you get so many names. There's a right? lot of names. There's so right. many names every day. You got to really write the article a couple of times to remember them uh, all. Actually, yeah, I've got. I've got the nuts. I believe that they're going. It's, it's going to be proven that that um, that was used as the basis for the FISA warrant. And if that's the case, the, obviously the weaponized intelligence. It, it, Obama had to know. Obama had to know everything that was going on because of the unmasking the presidential daily brief uh briefings that that were uh, that were going on i mean obama is not his he does not have clean hands in this obama has got dirty hands in this process right absolutely while the campaign's going on there i, I mean what's evident is that they were concocting an idea a plan on how to derail the trump presidency or whatever republican nominee it was it would have been Whoever would have won the nomination, this would be the plan, one of the game plans to derail them and delegitimize them. While well, they were participating in selling uranium, American uranium to Russia. So who is it, who does the, who does Vladimir Putin really prefer in office? A president that says America first? <laughs> or a president that's selling America's natural resources and uranium to them for God knows what reason. You, you know, giving all this money to the Clinton Foundation and, and Bill Clinton so they can 
have more power in, in the U.S. State Department. Exactly. And what gets me is reporters will say, well, CFIUS approved it. You know, the nine-member panel of CFIUS, the, the uh, Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States, they approved this. And, uh, well, wait a second. You have to look at who... who is on the board of Cepheus at the time. So obviously they, they approved it. And then the other lie, that no uranium ever left the United States uh, via Uranium One. Well, that's a bunch of hogwash. It, it may not have been Uranium One. It was the logistics company that was working on behalf of Uranium One that shipped the uranium into Canada. And from there, who who knows where it went? It could have gone, hey, it could have gone to North Korea. It could have gone to Iran. All of this. It, yet What's wrong with these progressive uh, morons out there? And I'm sorry if if that's you know offensive, but what's wrong with these people? What's is our Congress that corrupted? Is our press that well? Obviously, the press is, but are people as well that insulated from the truth? Well, I think on the left, you just have blind passion. People who are just programmed their entire lives to hate conservatives. They're Reinforced with this programming in college, uh, through television on every ad, from music, TV, movies, and you know, we're just facing a culture that's inundated with liberal propaganda. Your chances are, if you're not born in a conservative family or you haven't taken an enormous amount of your time out to study history, you're gonna be left leaning, you're gonna believe, you might be inclined to be a socialist and a Bernie Sanders supporter. But, I mean, and the, and the other thing, if anyone's paying attention, if these leftists were to pay attention and see what's going on, I mean, you've got this guy, Peter Strauss. If you look at his emails, his correspondence, he was a, a, the lead investigator on on uh, Trump's uh, Mueller Special Counsel Investigative Group. and uh, As well as the e- Clinton just, email investigation. Right. And look at the bias that they have against the president, these people who are leading the probe. It's almost like what world do we live in where this is still ongoing, but you know, Peter struck people have it. hatred and yeah. they're, they, 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 they're cohesive. They stick together. They have a good game plan. Whereas you see in the conservative side, apparently there's a bunch of sellouts leaking information <laughs> from the White House to liberal authors named Michael Wolf who run conservative Leading conservative organizations, allegedly, that might not be true, but yeah. Well, I I think it is obviously, and I think we've seen the evidence of that this past weekend. But, but I just want to say too, uh, Peter Strzok. I, I I think he believes he's Batman. I, I really do. I mean, he you you look and he's he's over here at the email investigation. You look over here, he's the foundation investigation. I mean, the, the guy's everywhere. So he's how small the FBI. Is. He's like a bad rash. In my opinion, but anyway, um, uh, Alicia, I wanted to, to ask you this: uh, thirty-seven investigations by the DOJ into the into leaks and leakers. Do we know if we're any closer to identifying some of the people who have been leaking classified information? Well, no. If I had that information, you'd probably see several articles of hmm. mine on the Drudge Report. But yeah. hopefully, we'll um, we'll find that out because. That's what I'm saying. There's just no loyalty on, on, there's so many never Trumpers and even on the conservative side. We didn't hear about this constant leaking of information over the eight years that Obama was president. Um, but I think we saw that throughout the election. There were lots of conservatives. It's like people were showing their true colors. Well, do you want Hillary Clinton to win? 
Because there's only one Republican nominee, and if it's not Trump, it's Hillary. And they were still out there speaking against the president and eventually working for the president. And they still do, and they're, they're, they're not, there's obviously a lot of people who can't be trusted that work close to the administration or are part of the administration. Exactly. And we, we need, you know, okay, so, so those people, the people within the administration right now, I gotta calm down because this is just, it's just mind blowing. Um, obviously we, we've got some issues, uh, at the federal level with the, the, um, never Trumpers and the Obama holdovers still being in positions of power, um, still being in positions to be able to block certain avenues of, of forward movement of the Donald Trump administration. You, you've got a, a really a sullied judiciary as well. You know, the federal judges who think that they can write law as opposed to just, you know, uh, uh, follow the law. Um, I know there's a question in there somewhere. I don't know. I, I just, I, I guess, are, are we making headway? Is Donald Trump making headway right now with rooting out these swamp creatures? I mean, I think what what I'm really going to dive into and, and, and write about in the upcoming days is the fact that Trump's annihilated ISIS, apparently, and we don't hear anything about it. I mean, that's what I've been hearing in the background of sexual harassment and Russia probe is that Trump happened to annihilate ISIS. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I think America, Trump is, 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 Giving America back its, its, its strength and its, its, um, its global dominance as a force of, of freedom and not this, this dark apologetic president. Unlike the dark, the, the previous president who was constantly apologizing for America and claimed that ISIS was a bit greater threat, the climate change was a greater threat than ISIS. We've come a long way since then. And to think, Every day that if you wonder if we've make, made progress or not, just think if that woman was in office right now scolding us mm-hmm. every day and warning to take away our Second Amendment. In fact, sites like WND and Breitbart and, and the Hagman Report might not even exist right now. We think we're facing censorship from Google and Facebook and Twitter. But what a degree it would be if they had power, um, if Hillary had power. Yeah. And so... It would be better, I mean, even if, uh, let's say Trump wasn't the guy he was, just the fact if he would have, would sit and hold that office and do nothing, obviously would still be a thousand times better than, than Hillary Clinton ever holding the office. And, but, but thankfully Trump, uh, is, is sticking to as many promises that he made as he can. And it has been a, a very interesting and great last year. And I think it's going to be even better year this year. We only have about two minutes left, Alicia. If you had to guess. How this Mueller investigation is going to end? What what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think Uma Bedin's going to be forced to testify. I think we might see indictments. I think I think things are closing on, in on Hillary Clinton more than they have. Ever. There's a better chance of that happening now than ever before, and it's because of the Russia probe. It's because of this ongoing investigation. If you keep digging for truth, you're ultimately going to get closer to truth. And the truth is, is that the Clinton campaign and the Obama administration, that from what it looks like, courted made this whole Russia narrative up because they're losing the election and they need to, you know, WikiLeaks is exposing all of their corruption. Everything from, uh, 
rigging the election against Bernie to spirit cooking. And so they were able to just make it a whole fake news project that was conspired by Russia and Trump to rig the election against Hillary. But let's just keep, let let it keep going forward because more information is going to be called from this investigation that's going to set the truth free. That's what I believe is going to happen. And who knows? We'll find out more about Seth Rich along the way. We'll find out more about the Allen brothers. We just don't know. There's so much corruption on their side, though, and they get away with it. And Mm -hmm. I think we're all fed up with it. And it's making a lot of people even exhausted from tuning in. What's the point? You find out that they're corrupt. Nothing ever happens. And it's just exhausting already. It is is exhausting. But and you're right. But we have to keep pressing. See, I I get that way all the time, and, and I know Joe does, and we all do. It's like, okay, what are we going to do about it? But I, I got to tell you, I, I have a feeling 2018 is going to be different. And if we don't keep talking about, it, if we don't keep exposing this corruption, and, and I, you know, folks, don't bother sending us emails saying, well, what are you going to do about it? Why why even talk about it? Uh, just shut up and go away. You either lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. That's what I tell the, 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 tell you, um, not you, Elisa, but the other people. But uh, I want to thank you for the great job you've done um, and we really appreciate everything, everything that you do all the corruption you're exposing you are a class act and, and certainly a, a tremendous uh, investigative researcher, we really like your work Thank you, likewise I'm grateful for the Hagman Report and that there is more conservative news outlets than ever before in the history of the United States <laughs> Boy, exactly, and and you're right, boy. If we were under Hillary, I mean, you made the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I'm thinking, you know, where would we be right now? Um, you know, com, uh, hammer and sickle on, on on the, yeah, on the, I don't know, boy. But uh, all right, God bless you, Elisa. Thank you so very Likewise, much. God bless you. All right. Good night. Good night. Follow Elisa on on Twitter as well, Elisa underscore pow. Follow her on Twitter. She's a fantastic. Look, I do. Um, and, and she's got uh, a lot of great information. Joe. There's uh, some interesting videos coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, where the college football national championship is being played, where Trump made it out to the 50-yard line for the national anthem and was met by um, a whole stadium of cheers. And there's an article on Drudge that says uh, boos and cheers greeted Trump. But when you read the comments of people who are there, uh, they said there was no booze in the building. But did, one of the, did they throw the football? I don't know. I didn't see the video yet. But one of the things that's interesting is uh, I believe one of the teams was kept in the locker room during the national anthem because I, I think some people planned on kneeling, and this is a the Bankrupt kneeling thing. The was the, well, this isn't the NFL. This is college. That's or, why I think I, they I, kept them in I'm the locker sorry. room. Yeah, that's right. But um, I, I reading comments on the video. Uh, people said it was uh, very inspiring, so check that out if you get a chance to do so. And, 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 and you know what, Joe? This is why I believe 2018 is going to change because it's bigger than the man. It's the movement, and people are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and they're going to go out there and kick some butt this year. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. It was a great show. Matt Bracken and Doug Papa coming on together. And then Jerome Corsi, if you missed that, in segment two from 730 to 8, he was on with us, and uh, lots of great information from him. Thanks for everybody for listening and and supporting us. We will be back tomorrow. Have a great night.